Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode that's not necessarily we weren't friends in high school, but is in that same realm. This is a conversation I had one month ago with my most recent guest on We Weren't Friends in High School, Jessica Ignault. And I made mention to the video that was up on YouTube, and we of course broadcast this on Facebook Live. So this took place June 6th, and this is really the companion piece for the actual high school conversation that Jess had where we did touch on her career, but this dove much deeper into policing specifically and the training that Jess is responsible for in Alameda County and everything that goes into that and just her general thoughts and opinions and mine, of course, plus the first installment of what Jess has now continued to do on her Instagram, her series of poems she calls Black and Blue. So I just thought I'd make it available for everyone in audio form because I know not everyone gets a chance to do the YouTube. So I just hope you are able to learn something from the conversation. Um, I thought it was pretty in-depth. All right, enjoy. How many nights have you been out there? You've been out there a lot? Just two so far. You ain't been out there. Looting last weekend was a mess. I wouldn't have been out there last weekend. I went out last Saturday, um, and then that was it. It was a lot, to be honest, like emotionally, just when you're seeing it, when you're doing it. Um, it's a lot to see, like, and then just, like, get reactions from people afterwards. And it's like, yo, I'm out there, you know, and and to see how people feel. It, it can be hard to come down. Yeah, when you're, it's, it's, it's passionate out there. I, I mean, on both sides, it's passionate. Yeah, and it makes it really hard, you know, to go through the week and to hear people that are still kind of reacting to things from a distance mm -hmm. um, or on last week's talking points. Um, and it just, it, it was really a thing where after going last weekend, I just, I needed a, a physical and mental break from, being out there, you know, at the same time, that's when the curfews all really started hitting. Yeah. Um, we had armed security down here, um, oh. right, right outside my place in, in the Italian market. So, and they didn't tell anyone what it was. And so while I appreciate, you know, after the fact, knowing that I'm safe, um, I didn't know what it was. And so when there's you there's a lot of places that have armed security, I mean, just, just, uh, I mean, uh, places out when I was out the other night, just kind of watch the streets. You had like gun places in like the marijuana dispensaries that just straight had like rooftop snipers or whatever, because the looting was getting out of control. I mean, so the overall like temperament is sometimes difficult for me to deal with on, on an everyday, like I, it, it's just hard to go out there every day and do stuff. Um, because I, I have a hard time. And I think it's probably just a lot of things. Like I just have a hard time de-escalating my own brain from it. So mm -hmm. today, just seeing how big it was going to be. Um, and they kind of ca came by here yesterday and, and I caught it at the very end. But I was like, you know, I, I really want to get back out there. So today I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to. And, and going through what I went through over the last week, I feel like I can um, handle it a little bit better mm -hmm. throughout the rest of this week that's going to be coming up as far as how I've already made some changes and just how I'm dealing with stuff and dealing with people. So I felt like ready to be back out there again today. Yeah. I mean, uh, just, I mean, to start, like for me, with everything happening, it's it was hard to go to work Monday, you know, uh, Tuesday. I start, I'm normally Tuesday through Friday, I have 10 hour shifts, but I work at the academy. So, you know, coming in last week, speaking to the academy after like things really started, when things started to ramp up, 
just really talking to these recruits, like, hey, know what's going on. Um, take a minute and, and kind of re rethink amongst yourselves. Why did you get involved in this field? Uh, think about what you saw. And we, you know, we, we pretty much said, hey, we, this is not okay. And we put it on them right now, just kind of policing each other. Like right now they're trying to grasp the concept of where do we fit in? You know, we, we're, that, while they're learning. So we're telling them like, yo, you gotta, if someone's not doing something right, whether it's something simple, if they're not lining right, when we tell you to get in squads, if they're not uh, uh, paying attention in class, whatever, police each other. And if you can't take that constructive criticism and be able to handle that, then maybe you don't belong here. But for them, like last weekend, we just told them like, if you didn't see any of the video or you don't know what's going on, you need to educate yourself right here, right now. Um, then coming back this week, we've really, we've really just, you know, we, we're not harping on them, but we, we got on a couple of them the last uh, couple of days, just in regards to kind of discipline. You know, we, we, we have a, um, we have a well-known academy um, all across the country. I mean, our academy is, is, is kind of paramilitary. So we, you know, when you go, if you go to like New York or you go maybe down South Texas or whatever, like if you say like, oh, Alameda County, uh, Sheriff's Academy, they're going to know, oh, yeah, you guys got good training. You know, we pretty much one of the best in the state. So, you know, we we pride ourselves in that. We're sending, I mean, at the end of the day, they're like our kids. You know, we're sending them out after six months of training to the street, and we'd hate for something to happen to them. So with something like this, we're, we're really like, we're really from that point, we're trying to bring it out. Obviously, the training that we do, no way, shape, or form, there's any type of training what was displayed through this incident. But, um my my abilities that I can give right now is just straight from the academy, and I'm just I'm I mean I'm I'm still obviously doing what I've been doing with them in regards to educating them, but now it's like this. Anytime I can open this door for these type of incidences, so they can see, that's what I'm doing. So let's start from the beginning for anyone that's like turning. We're live now on on Facebook on um, on the Facebook page. So obviously, I do a podcast. We were friends in high school, and about a month ago you and I actually did a podcast that's going to be coming out in like three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but when we talked during that time, and obviously we've had a number of incidents, countless incidents that have gone on through the country, through our childhood, when we were kind of growing up and knowing each other. Um, but over the last, you know, five to 10 years, um, things have at least escalated from a media standpoint and so many more things caught on camera. So we did talk about, um, during the course of, of our conversation, we talked about um, your job as a police officer, um, working at the academy, and and more specifically, being a black police officer, um, and, and some of your feelings about that. And then literally, you know, a week and a half, two weeks after we had that conversation, um, the George Floyd incident happened, the, the tape mm -hmm. came out, uh, and I was thinking about how to, I don't know, talk about it, how to be present with it. And I thought about a lot of things and I did honestly think about you and, and I didn't know how willing you would be to, to discuss it. And before I even had a chance, you know, you, you reached out to me and said, you'd really like to, to talk about it. So I was really thankful that one, you thought of me, um, but then just that you were willing to talk about something that I think is really hard for a lot of people to have a discussion civilly. Um, and calmly and intelligently. So, Jess, thanks for, for coming here. Sure. I mean, it, it is, like you say, it is hard. I mean, we got a lot of people um, that what we call ourselves black and blue, and there's a lot of us within my department that have rallied around each other, and we're checking on each other, like, hey, are you good? Because it's, it's hard, you know what I mean? And we've, 
there's a lot of instances since I've been on the sheriff's office for the last 14 years that have come about. And really, I think this is the tip of the iceberg for a core of law enforcement, which many might, you know, beg to differ. But when I say the tip of the iceberg for a core of law enforcement is because of the actions that are that are going on. More law enforcement are speaking up in regards to how it's not okay. And then just for blacks as a whole, you know what I mean? I, when, I, when I leave work every day, hey, put the uniform on, I'm black. When I take it off, I'm black. When I retire or before I even started this profession, I'm black. And that's never going to change. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. You know, I, I went to work on edge on a Tuesday. And coincidentally, I was in a racial profiling class. It's required. Um, I, we, we had already been planned that we had to take this four-hour class, uh, the whole department, as just a re-up. Um, we have state-mandated things we have to do uh, per peace officer standardized training. And it's just coincidental that uh, I was in a four-hour racial profiling bias-based policing class to update the Tuesday after things kind of went to shit. And so, it, you know, like I say, it's coincidental, but at the same time, it, you know, it was basic on the level of, you know, no one brought that 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 conversation up, but I was on it. You know, I got, you know, one one guy's in the class kind of making jokes, you know, just off, off topic humor, but at the same time, I'm like the same time. Like I, and I had to kind of bring it down because I'm like, you know, I'm one of two uh, blacks at that point in time in this four hour block for that day. But it's just like, I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm on edge. And a coworker of mine, uh, another black female, texted me. She had been off for it last week. She's like, hey, I'm just checking on you. You good? And I was like, hey, I was like, I'm good. I'm just on edge. But we're, we're looking out for each other. And actually, it was actually a, a Zoom meeting and it, and also, um, meeting at a church for all, you know, kind of a, a black law enforcement officers in the Bay Area. That was happened earlier today and I, I meant to chime in, but uh, I saw a good outpouring from my department from a lot of the black deputies. It was really an open forum for them to come and talk about what's going on because it's hard for us. You know, we feel like we got to swallow it down and, you know, people are tired of it. We're not, I'm not, we're not going to sit here and be quiet anymore. I can't, you know what I mean? And what I can say about me, for those who know me, I've never been quiet on things that I disagree with. Uh, or maybe things in general, because people say I talk a lot, whatever. But what I can say is I've spoken up about things, and, and, and that might be that might be wrong. But in something like this going on right now, we can't be quiet. We gotta push forth the ways, you know, to, to to make some changes, you know. And and if my voice has to carry to Sacramento, or you know, people in my department's got to carry to Sacramento, as that's where you know the, the meeting point would be for obviously the state capital, then then so be it. But we we've got to do something, you know. So. So people have a, a good background of where you are. We tell people just kind of where you are, what your role is um, with the depart with with your department, and what that kind of entails. Give people kind of an idea of what your your police activities might entail on a daily. Because I know it's a little bit different than street work. Yeah, definitely. So I work for the Alameda County Sheriff's Office. Oakland, the city of Oakland, is in Alameda County. Um, so that will make me a deputy sheriff. Um, been on since uh, 2006. So I, I moved out here within eight months of being out here, nine months of being out here, I was in the academy. So um, God had a plan, you know, and, and uh, for my duties, graduating the academy, anybody for the sheriff's office, we go straight to the jail. Uh, we do probably about three to five years in the jail, depending. But um, I did five years in the jail. I went to the courts, uh, worked three years at the courts, sat through many high profile trials, uh, got to see some civil, some civil things and things like that. Uh, in regards to like civil trials and uh, civil hearings and things like that. And then went back to the jail for about a year and a half. And then I went out to patrol. Um, our patrol areas include the unincorporated area. So 
um, some of Hayward, which is a, sub, uh, a city right next to Oakland, as well as uh, some of San Leandro, which is also a city right next to Oakland. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, like I said, the unincorporated areas that we patrol. Um, so I did that for a couple of years um, with solo patrol after training for half a year. And then I went into our crime prevention unit, which uh, really was a just a blessing for me because I, I've been doing a lot in regards to community advocating prior to going to patrol. I had a track program. If any of you follow on Facebook, I've had a track program that I started uh, called Take Flight, where I'd go into community through our Sheriff's Activities League and I'd just do track and we'd have little track meets at one of the local community colleges. Um, also start up a backpack drive and this year would have been the fourth year um, uh, for that where we would, before school started, giving out uh, through donations for backpacks full of supplies for these kids in the area that we serve that are less fortunate. And um, this year, the plan was, since we couldn't do a backpack drive, to really try to get some essential supplies for, you know, uh, things going on with COVID. Um, hopefully I can get that off the ground, but things are a little obviously chaotic right now. But the two years uh, out on patrol with crime prevention and solo patrol, and then I went to the academy and I've been at the academy for two years. And uh, that's a blessing. I've wanted to go to the academy. It allows me to train up, obviously, recruits, not just for the county, but all across the Bay Area where the agencies are sending their recruits to us. It's a six month academy uh, physically and, and, and they, we test them physically. We test them on the, uh, obviously they're written in the scenario based testing. And what I can say being there is anything I see that's out of pocket, we and my partners are the same. I have a great group of partners. There's a three ACSO, one when the, and the sergeant, which would make a fourth and then two outside agencies that come in and they're kind of guest hosts, uh, guest um, training officers. but. We have a great team, and what I will say is a no BS type of team. Um, they, you know, we see some stuff that's out of pocket. We've dealt with things over the last couple of years where uh, someone makes off-color off jokes to recruits, and the recruits come to us because they tried to nullify it in the classroom and it didn't work. Check that one. You know, a lot of different things. So I feel like I'm, I'm an asset right now in the midst of what's going on working at the academy. So the good thing about the sheriff's office is there's a lot of different entities you could work in. Um, I feel like I'm blessed right now being at the academy. Before I start asking you questions just about the situation and everything that's going on, is there anything that you wanted to say just in general, overall, about how you're feeling, anything that you maybe just wanted to, to get out before we just get into a general casual conversation? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a hard pill to swallow being black and blue in this, in this, uh, this society today. And you know, you go back and forth on a lot of see. So I'm in a, obviously I'm a female in a male dominated uh, profession and then I'm a black female. So uh, there's a lot of things that come along with that. Um, putting everything together yesterday, I had actually went out on a, to assist. We're looking for somebody's to assist uh, patrol the last couple, uh, this past week for um, the curfew. And then obviously there was a lot of looting. I think city of San Leandro had 74 cars stolen on Sunday night from a dealership, uh, Dodges. Um, the Hellcats, I'm not big on cars, but hey, they, they, they uh, went in there and they stole about 74, uh, obviously among all the looting in the city. So our agency kind of put together something. It was like, hey, we need to have some bodies out. I went out there Wednesday night and Thursday night and my God, it was like a war zone. I mean, it's it's sad, um, but I understand. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I understand the outcry. I understand that people are tired. I understand people are fed up. Um, so it's it's a double-edged sword because I'm looked at as, oh, you a, you a sellout or you this or that how you black work in law enforcement but at the same time i understand um so you know it, it was hard being out there so yesterday when i went back to my my regular duty spot my duty station and i sat down and i had some time in the afternoon i wrote something that kind of 
paints a picture for me, from my perspective, uh, for being black and blue. So before we kind of get involved in like the, the conversation, I'd like to just read this off um, just to give an understanding. Um, and I entitled it Black and Blue. It says, Black and Blue, on the outside, I'm just like you. I walk the line, but I look like you. I wear a badge, carry a gun, and protect and serve the same way you do. I carry my thoughts in sync with you. I exhibit, I exhibit order amidst chaos like you. I absorb the same hate as you. I'm speaking about being black and blue. You see, I was born black, grew up black, grew up in a black neighborhood, and was raised in a single parent household. I was not poor, but middle class. If I didn't act right, my mama whooped my ass. I was singled out in high school because I'm black. Singled out in school because I'm black. I had to fight judgments that labeled me and use my mind to fight back. I saw injustices in high school and in college, then took the time to gain some knowledge. How could I be the change I want to see? How could I make things better for those who look like me? I graduated college and walked, excuse me, I graduated college and moved out west to Cali where I took the test. The test to be blue and walk a line I believe to be true. True to serving the community and work hard to bring unity. True to make a way and change each and every day. <clears throat> Sometimes I had to speak up about what was wrong. I had to voice my opinion about what was going on. Then I was labeled angry and mean, but it had to be known I didn't play on that team. Things mellowed out and I got respect. But then what came next? New Year's 2009 was when a siren sounded in my mind. My first encounter with being black and blue was when Oscar Grant's name rang true. My tribe spoke ill and it started to give me a chill. I was angry and I was mad that people I could work with could think so bad. The true colors came shining through and well, it was at that point I knew it was hard being blue. As more instances began, began to arise, I had a fire burning deep inside. You see, I now have a family and my pain runs deep. Many times I lose sleep. In years to come, how will my kids be affected by a society where black lives are continually neglected? Yes, I wake up and put on uniform, but see, I refuse to conform. I have to stay true to being black, but the blue has caused a weight on my back. Because when I leave the job, I can't take off my skin. And that is when reality sets in. I can't sit back and watch these things occur while my coworkers in most cases seem to concur. Oscar Grant, Mike Brown, Trayvon Martin, Philando Castillo, Sandra Bland, Tim, uh, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Alton Sterling, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, just to name a few. Now George Floyd, what are we gonna do? I'm tired, you're tired. We're all tired of this mess. So it's time we make a change, hence the civil unrest. As I patrol the streets, it looks like a war zone, shattered windows, boarded up businesses and curfews to keep folks home. We march, we protest, we cry. We fight, we stand in riot gear and protect the streets at night. There needs to be order, there needs to be change. There needs to be someone who remembers the names. The streets are burning, hearts are on fire. Again, I tell you, everyone is tired. Help us come together to work as one. We need this, we need this to end, it has to be done. We need to remove the weak, bring in the strong, find solutions so we can all get along. Over hundreds of years of hatred, suffering and pain, there needs to be some sunshine in the midst of this ring. We've been ignored long enough and the silence is too rough. The changes have to happen from our leaders above. All lives can't matter when one continually gets no love. No more hiding in the shadows or ignoring the alarm. There cannot be any more violence, no more harm. Enough is enough for both black and blue. It's time to stand up for what's right. We all know what to do. When did you write that? Uh, yesterday afternoon. <laughs> I had it sitting, uh, sitting at work. It was real chill for the moment. Crew turned class, and I just was thinking about everything as a whole, and I was just like, started just typing that up. And uh, 
I can't imagine just the internal thinking that, because it's obviously, you know, it's got to be things that have been on your mind or probably, I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but, um, you know, I think of tons of stuff every single day, every single hour of new ways to look at things. And I haven't written any of it down, but I can't imagine being, you know, on a very clear uh, divider between two sides um, and having to live with that every day from the minute you wake up to when you're getting dressed to, like you said, when you come home um, and you're back to being a citizen. Mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine just thinking, having those thoughts in your head all day long. And yeah, see, the, see, law enforcement has a, a mindset. You know, when you were bro brother and sister, right? I mean, I, I went through an academy six months with people and, you know, great, you're my family, right? That, that's my family. I'm gonna look out for my people. You know, you're going to make sure they're good. I, I have a very strong bond with the individuals I went to the academy with. Um, but at the same time, I think that the lines get blurred when things happen and people are scared to speak up. Because in previous years, I mean, you can look at movies just to go back to like, you look at American Gangster with Denzel Washington, obviously it's a true story. Um, and you look at uh, the one, uh, one of the officers, I, I can't think his name, but well, actually the, the lead guy. Um, trying to be a lawyer, but he turned that money in, uh, in regards to, you found, you found he was on that case or whatever, or he's on a, a, a stakeout and he found that car with the brown bags full of money. He turned that money in and obviously something else was going on, but he was looked upon as, I don't know what you want to call it, but they didn't help him. You know what I mean? Like, you want to be, is he a snitch or he's not on our side. He didn't look out for us. Right. And so, I mean, I, I'm just, that popped into my mind, that movie, but you look at if, People speak up. The mindset is, oh, you're not on the team. You're not blue. But you know what? You should not have a fear speaking up for what's wrong because at the end of the day, my mindset is I'm not going to lose my job, uh, potentially be charged for something or, you know what I mean? Essentially, sometimes get hurt because I'm failing to speak up or people are failing to pay attention. Is it worth it? You look at it. At the end of the day, is it worth it? You know, and it's unfortunate when you look at this situation that we're presented with right now with the George Floyd and you have four, three additional officers who, due to their failure to act in some way or another, are now locked up. And you wonder if one of them would have maybe snatched it off or whatever, how would the situation would have played, played out, you know? And so there's that, there's that line of blue and it's like, there's a lot of people that reached out to me to say, hey, I, I didn't know that, you know, you don't, you don't think about knowing what we as, as minorities and then Blacks have to go through. Once we, you know, I mean, I got to, my, my kids are asking me what's going on. You know, I got a 10-year-old that I got to try to explain something to. My mom, my mom always, if I call her, if I, if I actually, I haven't talked to her phone or FaceTime, like, you know, just chill. But there have been times my mom's like, what the hell is wrong with your people? You know, she says, your people, law enforcement, how dare they do that? Now, granted, my mom knows I'm not like that, but in the grand scheme of things, she's like, what the hell? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Um, I guess, you know, that situation you described is maybe what a lot of frustration is from people, especially when, you know, the, the chance and, and everything that goes out is, um, you know, bad, good cops don't let this happen. Um, is there any type of... I guess one-on-one -on -one conversation to be had between officers where an alarm goes off internally and you think that's a bad thing. And I guess the second part to that is why do you think it's, it's such a problem to turn in someone for something that seems like such a bad thing? 
We're not talking about uh, someone skimming money from, you know, a drug dealer to which it's money that maybe didn't even belong to anybody in the first place. We're not talking about fudging traffic tickets. We're talking about brutality um, that is very focused um, on a specific on a specific race um, or a specific part of a neighborhood. Oftentimes, what do you think it is that that makes that? a thing that people don't go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I can't help but think that if, if there were police officers that were molesting children, that people, that other police officers would go, hey, I see that guy with, with young children or there's something up. I would hope that that would be the case. But in this case, it just doesn't seem like what seems to be common sense with you, with me, with so many people that are protesting and so many people fighting for change. I guess that's the disconnect that so many people see with police officers mm-hmm. in why aren't you saying anything? I think it's a mindset of, for some, it's the power. You know what I mean? You feel like, well, some feel like maybe there's not that there's nothing wrong with putting that extra pressure down or maybe swinging that baton one extra time or something like that. Uh, because, well, in, in most instances, okay, there may be a situation where someone's uh, resisting. And sure. At least in the state of California, which I think ranks true as, as in regards to the federal laws, but I'm speaking on what my knowledge is with the state of California. We have a, a penal code, which is 835A, which is it allows peace officers the, the option to, to use force in regards to under three umbrellas uh, to overcome resistance is one of them. And so if there is what you would believe as a law enforcement officer in your training, you believe someone's resisting, you need to use what force is necessary to overcome. I think when people come in, their adrenaline's up and in no way, shape or form am I condoning any additional actions that occur with law enforcement. But people come in, their adrenaline's up. Prime example, when we have a call that goes out where it's an inmate on inmate flight or a deputy fighting an inmate um, at the jail or an inmate fighting deputy, however, the call goes out for assistance or cover and people arrive and I, it's always the younger ones that come in and you get to the doors and they're just all amped. Up and you're like, hey, calm down, because guess what? We're all going to go in here and one of us is going to get hurt because you're so amped up. I think people come in hot, you know, because your adrenaline's up. Um, and it needs to be a situation where they have to check it. For the inability to speak up, I think I think it, you think about high school and middle school and things happen and people kind of didn't want to say anything because it's like, well, then I won't have any friends or I'll be outcasted. Mm. People really need to identify with <clears throat> what's right and what's wrong. And then if if you speak up and somebody got something to say, well, guess what? That's not your buddy. That's not your friend. But at the end of the day, you're still getting your paycheck. You're still going home. And if maybe later down the road, things are still getting better, maybe you just need to find a new home. Maybe you need to lateral to another department because obviously the stigma or the mindset on that department isn't great because you should be able to come forth and speak about what is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that individual should be, investigated or some something should happen um i know there, there i mean at least for, i can say from my department there are times when people have spoken up about things and there have been uh some investigations you might call it or you know some some checks of the situation and people may get moved whether it be to a different housing unit whether it be to a different unit uh you know or maybe they get put on leave while things will happen but for us at least i feel like people speak up more um and a lot of it might be due to the fact that uh there are, there have been situations. We still have a pending situation. I'm not sure if you're aware of mm. an incident that occurred in San Francisco. Uh, I think it might have been 2016, 17 might have been. Okay. 
uh, November. Um, long story short, the chase was on the Oakland side of the, the East Bay side of the bridge. A subject uh, attempted to ram a deputy, uh, which led on a vehicle pursuit, ended up all the way across the bridge. Um, there was an incident of excessive force used upon that individual, and they didn't, they weren't aware that there was cameras in that alley. Um, camera footage uh, appeared about two days after this incident, which totally kind of put this pumice to a whole other spectrum. Mm -hmm. And those individuals were put on leave. You know, it was a big, I think they're still pending a, a trial for that. Those individuals are no longer employed. So you look at that, um, and I think may, there's a lot, of, a lot of things have changed in regards to people speaking up. But I think it's the brotherhood or sisterhood, however you want to call it. And, and people feel like, well, if I'm, you know, if you're a part of this unit and you, you want to make sure you stay a part of that unit, but that shouldn't deter you from speaking up. If you got to snatch somebody off, uh, you got to snatch somebody off. I mean, I had a situation plenty of times and there's people that tell me, like I was labeled Angry Davis. Before I got married, obviously my maiden name's Davis. I was labeled Angry Davis when I worked in booking because I used to tell them, hey, get the hell out of here or I'd go off. There was one instance I went off on a couple of the deputies and I immediately went to the sergeant and was like, oh, I just went off on them. Uh, the reason I went off on them is because I didn't agree with blah, 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 blah. And that um, sergeant was like, okay. And he's wearing, I said, so just letting you know I'm coming to you. Uh, if, you know, I feel like, you know, and I, I even said, maybe I shouldn't have spoke to them right then and there at that moment like that. I was like, but there was no inmates around, but I feel like it needed to be said. And that sergeant really didn't, I didn't get reprimanded because at the same time, those people were kind of uh, young and excited. And, but, I, you know, that's one thing I could say. I ain't got a problem speaking up. You can be pissed off at me all you want. You can, I can be angry or whatever, but uh, I'm not going to lose my job for y'all. So, so there's got to be more of that, I think. I think for, for me, that's kind of the, the thing. And I have a really hard time with, you know, blindful ignorance. Um, and, and I think that's the hard thing with, with this issue, besides the fact that everyone's been quarantined and so they have nothing to see on Facebook and, and mm -hmm. Twitter and the, and the news, except for, you know, this footage of this police officer with his knee on George Floyd's, on George Floyd's neck. The question that I always have is you see the cameras, there's three of them, at least we've seen three different angles and many times they, you know, they sway and we've seen in other videos where especially now that they're all coming out where someone's holding a, a camera and, you know, another officer comes, oh, get away, or they try and block the view. Do they, it feels like a, we can do it because nobody's going to care. Even when you're holding a camera, I guess, what's the common sense? And I, I can't expect you to understand it, but just, I imagine you, you know of situations like that where you are, where a camera is, in play and mm -hmm. beyond the body camera eventually being being exposed to see that people are going to upload this or are, are live on ig or whatever right now what's the thinking into into doing something completely against procedure or even you know in the case of of the the old man that was shoved down the other day yeah, and that... out of his ear or even when everyone's yelling at that the guy that killed george floyd yelling he's not responsive he's bleeding he's Clearly, he's he's dead or on his way at that point, and they check the pulse, and this guy still got his knee. It's almost like you're not seeing what you're seeing on this camera. I think a lot of law enforcement gets there's this thing called tunnel vision, and they they talk about that. We tunnel tunnel vision, so you kind of lock in. 
Um, and it's a term that I learned, obviously, in the academy and mainly at the range. Uh, we got to range. Uh, we have a thing we call a, um, I think it's a six or eight step. I can't remember because it's, it's natural. We do it. But obviously, after we shoot whatever at our targets, uh, we take a minute, we breathe. Me personally, you know, you look left and right. That eliminates your tunnel vision and it's opening things up. Uh, your adrenaline's obviously up in situations like that where you got to fire your gun and use force. Just the same as if you were to get in a fight on the street, your adrenaline's going to be up, right? And sometimes people got to hone those individuals in on the street. Like, hey, look at me, focus. Are you good? And so we have to tell ourselves, and it's just like shooting, the shooting uh, firearms and the driving and the uh, defensive tactics, which is the hands-on options, are all called perishable skills. If you don't practice these things, when you get locked in, you're going to resort back to your lowest level of training. Mm. Um, so what happens, I think, is people get locked in tunnel vision. We all know that there's people around. You know, anytime daylight, night, whatever, people come out, there's going to be people around. How you're able to deal with that determines your level of training or just it's the mindset. Yeah, I know people over here screaming or people over there screaming. Mm -hmm. Then in reality, at least from our training, because we work at the jail, so we're dealing with chaotic, get this individual out of this area in the sense of like they should have gotten him up and gotten him in the car. My thought, I'm not going to Monday morning quarterback situation is unfortunate, but looking at it, you had enough people, get them in the vehicle best way you can. Um, I'm not mistaken, I think they actually had him in the vehicle from some other camera angles that came out, which is mind-blowing to me What how everything is. It's, like I said, it's a very unfortunate situation. If I could go back to the Oscar Grant mm-hmm. shooting uh, on the bar platform, we have a benefit. We, I say, is uh, the Alameda County Sheriff's deputies because we all go straight to the jail. And there's other departments uh, who have, uh, they staff the jail and they go straight to the jail. So dealing with chaotic situations, when I'm looking at that situation, my mindset was get him down off that platform, get him down the escalator to uh, where the entry of the bar, where the bus platforms, whatever is, and get that train moving because the chaos was for craziness among the you know stress levels to increase mm-hmm. so we like with cameras i could care less you could be out there you could tape and as long as i'm operating within the parameters of my policy and procedure my department will back me and if you remove you know if you, if you step outside of those zones granted it's not policy and procedure for him to have that knee on his neck uh but among other things that totally was spiraling downhill but you operate in the perimeters of your policy and procedure. I could care less. You can take me. Um, I'm going to keep you back, obviously, because of the safe distance. I don't want to be attacked. So keep him back or whatever. People say, you know, people, we, we tune out. I personally, if someone in the crowd is yelling this and that, I'm tuning them out. But at the same time, I'm paying attention to what I'm dealing with. Um, so I think across the board, there needs to be a change in some of the training for some of these departments. Some of the training is a little old, maybe. Uh, maybe they're not up on the new. What I will command my department is they always try to look for something new in regards to training but granted there's still instances in where people need to 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 be checked on my department in any department but i think it's it's a matter of tunnel vision and then it comes back to that power where i give a damn what you're saying over here i'm in the capacity of doing my job Mm -hmm. is it right no but at the same time if i have a subject that is flailing around and doing this my focus is on that person they had other people there, so like they should have removed from that area the best way they could. Right. And then a lot of times we don't pay attention to the individual laying on the ground. 
you know, I mean, it's been situations where we've been in the jail and you got a combative subject that may be, and, oh, they're like, oh, I can't do this on my arm or my leg. Okay. We personally be like, all right, look, let's switch around. Hey, calm down. You know, look, we're going to get up. If we get up, you can't do this. All right, we're going to move this cup. You talk to them. That situation as a whole, it's still baffling to me. Like, I don't, you know, it's just. Yeah. But it's just, I think that that was just locked in. It's the tunnel vision, locked in. Like, I can give a damn what you're talking about on the sidelines. Give a damn what this going on. His partner, from what I understand, was like, hey, maybe we should do this. That particular officer was like, I don't give a damn what nobody's talking about. The where I guess their goal was to keep him down there until medical got there. I don't know. That was an excessive amount of time whatever but it's a, i think it's a, it's a tunnel vision thing they get you get the power mm-hmm. and the tunnel vision you give a damn what anybody's talking about i think because he looks he being the cop looks so calm and with his hands in his pocket it looks it it's perceived by america as i don't care who's filming yep. me i'm going to do it um you know let's talk about the other guys that were there, the other officers, I think it's come out, like a, two of them were, were pretty new, or one of them were, was pretty new. It was like brand new. Uh, on In a year or two, yeah. New, you know, fairly new. Yeah. I, is there any type of, I don't know, I guess there's twofold to this, right? One is the cop that had, that, that actually had his knee on, on George Floyd's neck and having already other complaints. Mm-hmm. And there's, and I understand that there's, you know, there's, other things at play, politics, whatever. And, th- and these are some of the things that they're trying to correct and trying to change and, and a lot of the heat on the politicians in Minnesota. Um, but then when I see that, you know, these guys who maybe weren't experienced to be with, with this guy who seems to be like a bully of a cop, mm-hmm. um, maybe these guys were out of their range, out of their realm. Is there any type of guidelines or hey, here's how you know, like you talked about the different stages that you went through as far as different places you went from from the prison and, and, and onward to patrol. Are there any type of guidelines as far as, or, or a test or, or something like that that's around, suggested, hinted at, as far as, hey, you've been on the job for a year, a year and a half, 10 days, whatever. Here's what you need to go through to get yourself street ready. And until you're certified street ready you're doing this or you're doing that all also admirable and life-threatening things but maybe mm-hmm. not the person to enact justice on the street does anything like that ever exist or talked about even so, on the layman side for us when you go through the academy all the you go through the academy the, the training is a basic academy so it's like like we just had a class graduate last month so everyone goes through the same type of training you got to handful of written tests, you got like 14 scenarios, you got three weeks of range and all, you know, whatever's required by the state. Um, and then each branch is off to their own particular agency. So if they're going to a city department, um, they're going to go through their in-house, which goes over their, their policy procedures, kind of, uh, they may revamp some defensive tactic things and get, you know, go through some gun, sh- uh, some shooting things and things like that. Then they're all getting the car at some point in time with the field training officer. So they go to uh, state's FTO. So the FTO, they should have three, maybe four. You have a primary FTO, which starts you off in the beginning. Um, that primary FTO is going to go through step-by-step process. You know, you're going to go through, okay, this is what you need to do if you have your patrol car, blah, blah, blah. More than likely, that FTO is going to drive the first couple, the first week, maybe your first bit of time. And they're going to drive and everything. And you're going to respond to calls with them. Um, if shit hits the fan, you should react. 
but you're just mainly watching how they handle stuff. And then you will transition at some point with that primary to start to do stuff. So that way, when you finish that phase after three, four weeks, depending on the department, then you go to the next training officer and they'll loosen up the reins a little bit and you'll start doing more. Uh, then you'll go to third phase uh, and then they'll loosen up the reins some more. So when you get back to that primary training officer, you should be close to handling stuff on your own. Not obviously a veteran officer, but you should be close to handling stuff on your own so that way they can graduate you from that. That's for city, because if you don't pass your training program, at least out here in the city department, uh, for the city departments in the California, you, you essentially lose your job because they don't have anywhere else to put you. For us with the county, like for, I speak for my county, everyone goes to the jail. If you never want to go to the street, you don't have to go to the street, but you'll cycle jail, then you'll go to the court, and after four or five years, three, four years, you'll come back to the jail, and go to the court. If you want to go somewhere else, there's a few other options you can go. We, you know, Obviously, we take care of the corners, we take care of Oakland Airport. Uh, we take care of the hospitals in Oakland, uh, a couple of uh, major, one of the major hospitals in Oakland. We assist with that contract. Um, and then there's patrol. We also assist with our transits, uh, the buses in Alameda County. We, we take care of any crimes or things of that nature within the bus, uh, the buses uh, and their transportation portions. But if you don't pass our patrol program in our county, you just go back to the jail. But you go through an FTO program. What do I will say, huh? What dictates moving from level to level to level to where you're starting to be able to handle, you're being allowed to handle things a little bit more on your own? You mean prior, on the street? Yeah, prior, prior to getting the full-on passes, but you said you kind of like start with your FTO and then go on and on, you kind of get a little bit more leeway, but what's dictating that movement? That so they, at least for our department, you have a daily observation log or a daily observation report, excuse me. So that training officer should with. So for us particularly, I had a primary officer and then I had two additional training officers that I went to. So every three weeks we will rotate. So I start off my primary for the first three weeks. Every single day they have to fill out an observation log and then grade you. Um, and it's like, even if you feel like you have a great day, you can probably get all threes or twos. You're like, shit. Like, but it's like, it's something like your officer safety where you stood somewhere you shouldn't have stood. So they'll go over with you. Um, if you're coming into the end of your second phase, so you're six weeks in and you're still not you're having the same constant problems. In reality, um, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. We're still having, you know, they call it a, um, like not responding to training, NRT. Constant. So, you know, we kind of, I kind of go over that with the recruits of the academy. I'm telling you something, you're not getting it. It's not responding to training. If that's happening in the field, um, two options could occur. They, they might just say, you know what, if it's that bad, that egregious, you might say, you know what, we got to cut our losses because you're going to get somebody hurt and get yourself hurt mm. or they'll extend you. What that means is that they'll extend you an additional week or two weeks in that particular phase to help correct your problems. They might give you to another training officer who maybe, maybe focuses on that and says, Hey, like, we're just going to do this. Like we may, we're just going to go, if you're having issues with car stops, then I'm going to put you with officer Smith over here and he's going to just take you out. We're just going to do car stops. You know, if you're having problems keeping up with paper, um, in regards to writing reports, like they'll put you with somebody to help slow the process down and get you with that. Um, but yeah, they have to do a daily observation report and then an end of phase report. So if like something was to happen with me and I'd had to go to court, uh, something like I did some use of force or something or whatever, those observation reports, whatever, can be pulled. Mm -hmm. um, and all of your training records, everything can be pulled. So it's like you, you have some instances where people get it and you have some instances where people are like, 
they don't get it. In our, our cases, they get sent back to the jail and maybe they get an opportunity later um, or they lose their job and now they're trying to find where else they can go or find what other career they want to be involved in. So it's, you're putting a lot on the training officers. You know, they have to go to school to be a training officer. Um, but it's a lot. Not, you know? not just to treat you, not just to train you, but to recognize faults mm-hmm. and, and to be honest and stern enough about what the course of, of action of correction needs to be, whether it's this guy really needs to hammer down on, on this specifically or eh, just we can keep going or to say, is that training officer the same person that would say in like wait the situation you laid out, this is really bad. We can't come back from that. Would that come from the training officer? Yeah, so they, they'll document everything and then they may, if it's really bad, obviously there's a training sergeant. So the doc, all the paperwork that they do on a daily is generated. You're, you, you, as a re- training, as a trainee, you get to review everything and you sign it. Um, if there's issues and red flags, that's related to the sergeant. Uh, so in an instance where things are not going well, then you, maybe you have a sit down with that sergeant. You're like, hey, your training officer is documenting these constant problems that are occurring. Is there something going on? Maybe there's something going on in your personal life. They're trying to figure it out and say, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to extend you or we're going to try to see if we can rectify this and help you out with this. Because obviously the goal is not to just can you, you know what I mean? They invested how much time in with you in, in regards to the academy or whatever the case may What's be. What's that time period that you that you laid out through all that? If say everything goes, goes as it doesn't go perfect, not assuming that, but imagine everything goes as it's supposed to go. What's the time period that someone starts off, you know, that they're finally getting real life experience on the street. What's how long would that go for someone? So for my department, our training program is 13, 14 weeks. Um, there's some training programs that are potentially five, six months. Um, and that just depends. Um, some, you know, we have three week phases. So you go through three weeks with your primary, then three weeks with the, the next second phase, three weeks, third phase, then you come back to your primary for three weeks and then a shadow week where your primary is just kind of like in the distance. So for, for me, it was a 13 week program. Um, you know, you're going to have your highs, you're going to have your lows, but as long as you come together and then obviously when you graduate, yeah, you're not going to be cop that knows everything, but you, you still have those resources. I mean, I know when I finished, I finished with the nights, but I still had, I had all the phone numbers. You get all the phone numbers of people who are on your beat, all the people working and, you know, obviously they're going to look out for you. We always make sure if I'm responding to something, there's always going to be a second, somebody's going to come assist me. And if there's questions or something, then granted, okay, I can call, hey, so-and-so, you got, uh, I have this going on. Can you help me figure this out? So obviously you should look out for each other. Some agencies have about five, six months, but essentially when you're done, you're not done, but you should be able to handle stuff on your own. But know that, that it's got to be a pride thing for people. They got to know, they got to speak up and be like, hey, because you, you don't know everything. It's, it's real. When you, when you realize when I was by myself for the first time, I'm like, oh, I'm in the car by myself. Like there's nobody sitting next to me like, even if I start to make that wrong kind of like, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, okay, I didn't have nobody there. You know, every team, again, like with this, when I do these podcasts under normal circumstances, so much of my life is about my understanding it comes from TV and movies. And I don't think it's any secret when you watch a show with, you know, police in or, or a movie, it's hard work. And so I guess my, my real question is, do you, feel like, and I know it's different for everyone, but do you feel that, that at the end of two and a half months, three and a half months, 
you're prepared and, and I know you learn more, but I guess what I'm wondering is in a situation where someone doesn't feel completely comfortable or doesn't know, does that person always know that they are in need of reaching out once they've graduated? Do they know that they're in need of reaching out for help if they're getting bad, if they're gaining bad habits, um, if they're having trouble progressing past their training? Or you, like you said, sometimes you revert to, to, old, to old ways, basic ways. Is, there, is, it on that, is it on that officer alone to call someone almost like like a like a sponsor and say, "Hey, I'm I'm having trouble," or is there some sort of a checkpoint? Because it sounds like if you're in your car by yourself, you're in your car by yourself, and it's it, it takes an incident for other people to start reviewing. At that point, is that is that the case, or is there? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially proactive. you're by yourself. If you you if you're struggling, hopefully you speak up. But at the same time, when you're going to a core of your calls, someone's going to be there at some point to back you up. And people are going to start to notice stuff. And then you might have that person speak up like, hey, or if you're not properly doing your reports or if you're not getting all the documentation you need to have for your reports and your reports are essentially inadequate, you have to get your reports approved by the sergeant before it goes up to um, and be finished and approved. And if it's going to, if it's an arrest that will require a next day or whatever court hearing, then it has to be done in an efficient manner or now it's a big problem. Mm. Um, so if they don't speak up, it's going to be noticed at some point. One would think, at least I can speak for our department, it's noticed because it's like, okay, why, you know, there's a list. It's like, if you're down 12 reports, like, what the hell are you doing? You shouldn't be down 12 reports. You shouldn't be out trying to be proactive. You got reports. You should be sitting in your car if you get dispatched to something. Great. You go handle that, whatever. Then you go sit in some lot and you type or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, if they don't speak up, okay, like I say, it should be noticed. I mean, at least on our department, people are going to notice, hey, they're not pulling their weight or they're not showing up for the call, you know, whatever, they're not, or whatever the case is, or maybe they're showing up late or, you know, between dispatch and your partners and the sergeant, somebody's going to notice something. So it probably just goes back to a matter of how hard, how much does the fraternity protect itself in those cases? How much do they speak up? So it's not like there was just no, you know, and a guy has 10 plus incidents. There's no way to not speak. There's no way that the system just failed to notice that this guy was on the street. He's, for whatever reason, whether they they seemed at the time to not be prudent or people were covering up, someone was paying attention to this in some way they knew. Yeah, it should be because, like, we we had a situation where we had, like, deputies that were always getting the use of forces in the jail. Like, you get people coming in off the street drunk, whatever. And, you know, they go hands-on. If he has minors just kind of just boom on the ground, whatever, cuff up. If there was some force that was used, it needs to be documented. And we had a system, we may still have it, where it's a it, um, it's a it's a system that tracks your use of forces. So if you're involved in like six use of forces in a month, it'll red flag it and then supervisors will be like, hey, let's let's reevaluate this. Let's look at these, let's see if there's a tra- a, a habit or some type of trend that's going on that we need to be aware of. Maybe we need to relocate this individual, maybe we need to talk to this individual, whatever the case may be. So there are certain agencies that have a system that watches, uh, that, that documents, okay? It's not necessarily a watch, but it's a documentation. If you're involved in use of force, there has to be a documentation. And then if you're looking at it and it's like the, the supervisors, like, you know, your higher ups are like, oh, this, this Officer Smith is like four to five uh, use of forces in the, the last two weeks. Uh, what's, what's going on here? 
let's start. Then they'll really hone in and review and read all of those reports just to make sure, like, maybe look at his body run camera and say, well, let me see how these things transpire. Okay, well, this dude, this dude came out of one of the or this dude did it. Okay. And if it's okay, then they'll check them off. But between that and citizen complaints, if things start to come up, and you know, in our cases, they might go to IA and IA might start reviewing some things just to make sure everything's cool. But with this particular officer, there should have, from what you're seeing, yeah, there was uh, complaints and things like that. But if they were reviewed and there was no, like I said, if he's running at somebody, running at him with a bat, okay, well, he had to use some type of force or he had to do something. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to push that any further because it's like, he had per case law, federal case law, he had that ability to use whatever was necessary to take care of himself to, to, so he wouldn't be injured or killed or somebody in, in the world or society of this bystanders wouldn't be. So you got, you got all these, you got all these things going on and it's a matter of, uh, so and granted there are some things that need to be reevaluated, obviously. I mean, um, hence all the different case laws that come up all over the years. There's, there's things that need to be evaluated. So there's some old school things that might need to be revamped. And maybe some touches of the words may need to be changed. And then there's some things that will be changed and they probably shouldn't be changed. But it, in a lot of instances, not just in this profession, in other professions and things, we're kind of our own worst enemy. Um, when you look at how, how things have been transpiring, there's gonna there's always changes, sometimes for the good, sometimes they're not. But there has to be something that has to change, you know, whether it's, Policy procedures, whether it's uh, some type of force that's being used or whatnot. So, when you said some things won't change or shouldn't be changed, what are you referencing in, in those instances? So, dealing with this situation, there could possibly be some some type of uh, verbiage in, in the midst of how we, like, I think one thing that's came up is that we, a lot of agencies don't have certain de-escalation techniques. Some do. Um, so there may be some words or things that are changed within certain case laws or certain uh, things in certain states that um, would say that we have to check. Do we have to do A? We have to do B? Have to do C? Before we can go to D, when sometimes the situation may be warrant and we're like, we got to go A to D for a life safety. Are we, talking of, uh, physical, are we talking phys- physical things or, or? Or just in general. Yeah, like, well, in regards to use of force. So there may be some changes because of the, the, the things that have transpired that would cause us to have to take, you know, it might take a minute and that minute may cause an injury or something for someone else. You know, those extra minutes all because of this ignorance or things that have transpired because people have taken advantage of those things. Now, all it will be and it's it's unfortunate but at the same time if these things have to occur they have to occur there's changing laws we we, we have to adapt and overcome this job that my profession is all we're always learning there's always new law changes there's always things so that would be my only thing where it was like there may be some things that maybe shouldn't be changed and i say that because in writing they're good but in reactions and trainings they're sure. not great sure. so the, the 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 circle is is now is being split and it's unfortunate but we have to adapt and we have to overcome and that's just on all accounts that you know it's part of it's it's part of what like i said we're their own worst enemy this individual and and certain other individuals of things that have occurred in instances have caused this uproar and so now there may have to be changes that we all in this profession have to adapt and overcome with that makes sense um 
I've had a few situations in my time with with police and probably I've had some, some scary ones, but the one that just felt so blatant was being at the beach and being stopped on the boardwalk riding a bike uh, by a cop who accused me of stealing the bike and wanted my ID. I'm in sweatpants telling me that I look like I'm too big for the bike, wanting my ID, um, asking flat out, did I steal the bike? To which my reply is, do you have a report of a bike like this stolen? Um, and going home after that and like spending the rest of the day and a half just looking out the window. Every time I saw a police car drive by feeling like I was being stalked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it led to, I wrote, I wrote about it. I sent it to the, to the governor, to the senators, to the Congress people of that, of, of New Jersey, of that area, sent it to the newspaper. It was responded by a local with a pretty threatening response. Um, and then the chief of police asked me to come down and he flat out told me that the police officers that were on the Island of ocean city had never left ocean city. They've never gone anywhere else. So whereas this guy was telling me he's he's he was in Philadelphia for 25 years. He gets when there's he gets different people, how people take tone, looks, aggression um, Mm -hmm. and being targeted. And he his response and, and it was apologetic, but he just goes, there's literally nothing I can do. These are the guys that I have. And the majority of them haven't been anywhere in their life outside of this island. I know that's not the case anywhere, but I know that. One of the things that people often talk about is knowing how to it, it, wanting people of the community. Um, how much of that is a is a reality to make happen? Um, how much of that would actually help things? In this case, these guys were of the my situation. They were of the community, um, but have never experienced people that don't look like them coming into the community until now, which is such a thing now with gentrification. But we don't see it on the other side where. We get white people complaining about how rough black cops were with them. Mm-hmm. It's always the other way around. Um, and then how much of it is, is I don't know, and I know you can't speak to all police departments, but hiring guys that probably shouldn't be cops, but the population dictates that they need people. I think so. A lot of questions at once. I'm sorry. No, it's good. I think it's good that it's always a nice thing to have someone who is familiar with the city of that particular agency. It's always nice to have someone who's homegrown. But at the same time, you need outs- you need people who are from outside um, because maybe the candidates that you have uh, will represent that better, mm-hmm. as well as you you want to have a variety of people working on your department just, just to make everything whole. Um, I mean, you look at some of these small towns and they had, like you said, you have small towns or, or where you were at where that's all they know. And which means that their mindset is only s- circled on that. And it's like, well, I know this area. You don't belong here. I could have just moved here. I, whatever, I'm visiting, whatever the case may be, that doesn't give you a right to stop me and profile, essentially profile me. Um, hiring should be a broad base. It, like I said, it's always nice to have homegrown. We get we get some. We're getting some people that are homegrown because they've come up as explore police explorers from the high school. Then they become a cadet, which mm-hmm. is similar to a service officer. Then they get through the academy. So like, that's nice. It's always nice because it's something to brag about, and then they can, you know, go back to their local schools. But at the same time, you, I'm, I'm not homegrown. I'm from out 
obviously back home, back east. And I like it that way because I don't know anybody. Mm. I really wouldn't want to be an officer. Me personally wouldn't want to be an officer in the area where we grew up because it's like, oh, you know somebody. And you know how you oh. feel if you got to go to someone's house and you go to the house and you know, like, this is my, this is my homeboy or my homegirl I went to school with and I got to put you in cuffs because you did this or that. Or, you know, they got to go hands-on because you're being stupid. But I, I feel like recruitment, they, recruitment needs to be a little bit better. I mean, obviously, some of the candidates that, that we're getting, it's like a lot of it is due to job markets. And people are like, ah, I can do that job. When and, and some of them kind of get stopped and attracted prior to the academy. Some find their, their way through the academy and then graduate. And I think the recruitment, it needs to be better. But right now, it's hard. Um, because the community policing aspect needs to do a whole 360 because we're looking at the the mindset that we have right now with the community. Um, but they, I don't, it's always nice to have someone homegrown, but you, you need, you need the variety. You, it's like you said, I mean, all of our communities are starting to be, it's a melting pot. We need to have people. It's nice to make, it's nice to call on the radio and be like, hey, is there anyone who speaks Mandarin? Does anyone who speaks Spanish? Does anyone who speaks this? Can you come 98 because they feel comfortable? Um, so I'm speaking my police term 98. That means can you meet? <laughs> Sorry. Well, let me ask you this though. Then maybe even if right, because you can't expect everyone to stay where they are. What about living in the community? It depends. I mean, you know, what I mean, the, the the positives of living in the community is is great. Like you know, what I mean, you're 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 down the street or whatever from your your precinct or your your department and you know, yet you have an understanding of what goes on in your town, but depending on what type of community you live in or whatever, then that means that your house could be a target because they're like, oh, that's where uh, Officer So-and-so lives, you know, or they know where you live. So if something jumped off or, you know, someone's unhappy with you, they can tell another criminal or whatever, hey, go by here and do this. So it's a positive and a negative, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people that live in the neighborhoods that we serve. I mean, I, I lived in one of our unincorporated areas for years um, without, you know, any issues. So it's, you know, if, if you, most of them, people who live in the community, they want everybody to know. And they come, they go to work in the uniform, they come home to work in uniform. I personally, you know, don't go to work in my uniform. If I do, I'm covered up. Is at the end of the day, I don't want people knowing what I do because I don't want the wrong crowd following me home. You know what I mean? Like, or, or knowing my business. I, I'm not ashamed of what I do, but this day and age, you got to watch your back. You know what I mean? You know, I got to have all eyes on when I'm driving home. I got, a, I got about a 48, 40 minute commute. So wow. I'm in a different County, but at the same time. So then you not being in, in the area, I guess that's, that's a really good example of, do you ever feel out of the loop on what's going on or the temperament of the neighborhood or stuff that happens kind of instantly? And maybe it can take some time to reverberate out to the police. Do you ever feel like, someone else is more in the know than you may be? Um, not really. I, mean, you're, I think you're not on the street. So I, so you don't probably don't have to react as quickly, but you know, say so-and-so's so-and-so's family just died in a fire and now they're, they're having trouble coping and they've had a bad string of luck and they've been quarantined. And now they are in, uh, they're in a, a coffee shop causing a problem. And now police officers have shown up who live 40 minutes away and they don't know this guy's family is, has passed away or he's just lost his job. And maybe everyone knows that this guy's 
kind of wigging out because he's had a horrible stream of luck and mentally he's not there, but these guys look at it as an aggressive, you know, things like that, I guess. So so there's good, there's good, uh, the some of the reasons for that, I guess the way our towns are kind of set up over our counties, you have like a lot of our patrol deputies have been on patrol for a minute. And so they grow to know some of the community people. So if it's some, if it's something new, well, then they might have to ask, you got to ask questions and figure it out. But if it's like, a lot of times they'll go, hey, do you, uh, does anybody know, um, anybody familiar with uh, John Smith over here? You know, and a lot, when I was on patrol, there were certain people I was familiar with. And they're like, hey, I'll cancel a call. I'm like, hey, let me go. I've dealt with this person or I, I know this person. So that's a, a positive. Some of the, and it's because some of the area that we patrol, with the area we patrol is such a smaller type of, if you're on patrol, you're in this particular, you're in these particular area. You're not branching out the other areas where city, you're covering the whole city. It's covering unincorporated areas. So it becomes easier for you to know your beat, know the people you're dealing with, know your hot spots. So for us out here, it's a little it's a little bit different. We we are able to grow and learn some of the areas. And I personally would get out, you talk to people. You know, what I mean the community policing that's but you get out, you talk to people, you check on it. Because if I'm not in the area, at least I know who I can contact or if I see go by the house. My FTO used to have um a house he would go check. Uh, just do perimeter checks on and the lady would check from her home camera and just, you know, he had her number and she he would te- uh, she would text him and say, hey, thanks. She would leave out waters. So you just, uh, for whatever you come by or the, you know, for the male people or the other people too. But if you make your beat your own and normally when you get assigned, you're going to stay in that area unless there's something going on, they got to switch you over. So you make that area your own. Even if you don't live in the area, you're going to grow to know these people in the three, four days that you're working. Mm. Um, when you see the, I don't know, anger, uh, at police now nationally, um, it's a, it's very much a, it's a you problem, I think is the, the way that pretty much everyone's putting it and that you have to change. Um, I'm, you know, from the things that you've already said, you see things that are, that are wrong and, and you, um, and you're black. On a day to day, what kind of what kind of interaction or, I guess, affirmation support do you feel versus how much are you looking at people, listening to people who you've got to put your life on the line with, as you know, with them side by side, often saying you know that you know they don't support any of this. I guess, you know, I, I guess it's because I, I know that there's a there's a hard line of you've been you've sworn to do something. Mm-hmm. And so it, you have to find it'd be great for you to be able to just get up there and yell in people's faces and and march and, and throw shit and whatever's happening. But you sworn to not do that no matter how bad things go. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that on a daily thing, how much support are you feeling or likenessness? And, and what's that like when you know? that isn't felt on on your side so i mean we like i was saying i drove around on wednesday and you got one portion of the area we patrol people we were at a stoplight and they're just putting the window down they're like we just want to tell you thank you keep up what you're doing you know it's hard out there you guys be safe and then the other aspect people are looking like how you doing over here we had a i had a situation wednesday where we went to cover one of because we're all doubled up in vehicles obviously with everything going on and we went to cover one of the other cars and 
he had pulled over, it was a younger black male, probably in his 20s, he pulled him over, uh, legitimate pullover because he, the guy's kind of weaving and smashing through traffic. Um, and there was someone in the crosswalk and that car zoomed by and they're like, what the hell? And so officers were deputies right there. So it's like, he, if he doesn't pull that car over, it's like, hey, what are you doing? So, you know, he pulls him over, just a simple car stop. We went to cover. And you got people walking by and was like, hey, yelling at him, what'd you do? And he said, whatever. And at the time, I didn't know officially what he did. Just coming to be a second standoff and assist my partners. And he said, whatever. And they're like, they got to have all these cops out here. So a lot of it, it's like I said, this area we're in now is predominantly Hispanic and Black. Mm-hmm. And they want to know, well, why there's so many cops? We're covering each other. Really, we're just two cars and we're just doubled. So it appears that there's a lot of us. And we're not all up on him. We're not. He's still sitting behind the driver's seat. Turns out he was on probation. So my partner was like, I'm going to search the car. Um, so he's like, hey, go with, go with, send him with me. He's cuffed up and I have him sit down. And he's like, you know, he's talking to me. He's like, man, so I'm on probation. I said, that means he can search my car. And I said, dude, you know, and I, you know, just simple. I was like, you know, when you're on probation, I was like, that's searching you and anything that belongs to you. And this point in time, the car belongs to you. I'm just explain everything. He said, if you don't have nothing cool. Mm-hmm. I was like, no one's trying to target you. You were pulled over on a traffic stop. And he calmed down. And what benefit I used to always have is regardless of what the tensions are, I'm just going to talk to you mm-hmm. calmly. And I do have partners that have problems with that. And I've had to remove people like, you know, because they get, they get mad. They want to, they want to be like, I'm going to talk at you. It's like, mm-hmm. that's not going to help the situation. Um, and I feel like regardless of where you are, you should talk to people all the same. I'm going to answer your questions or whatever. I'm going to do this. I need you to focus or I need you to calm down. This is how we got going on. And so I think that a lot of it is people get frustrated. Nobody wants, there's a lot of times you got to repeat yourself five, 600 times. Um, so the climate, you, you can go, we can go three miles south and it's a whole different element of people. I still speak to those people. They walk by, how you doing? If they don't speak, they don't speak. Mm-hmm. Um, or you get people that wave at you when you're driving down the street. So be it. Um, a lot of times when I've been on the calls, I've been the one that they will only direct their attention to. Black may only talk to me. I had one time a sergeant, she, he, my sergeant was telling this female, was a shooting, he's telling her, get back, you can't go down here. And I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to talk to the black girl. He's like, he's like, hey, can you talk to her? And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's like, if we have to say, okay, look, you don't want to talk to me? Well, then talk to my partner. Um, and then they'll follow everything I say. I mean, the sergeant kind of got pissed off and be like, no, you're going to talk to me. But it's like, at least she's going to talk to her and that will get handled. You know, so it's, I think in a lot of different areas, when you go into your, your minority-based cities, um, your police are not received very well mm-hmm. um, versus when you go into more your affluent or you know your, your more upper-class neighborhoods, they receive a little better. They appreciate seeing you around, but it's how you deal with it. And really, it's all in how you communicate and talk, just getting out the car and talking to people. And, and if they even if they don't want to talk to you, whatever, hey, I tried, let me move on to the next person. There's going to be people who don't want to talk to you a lot of times it's because Want nothing to do with you, they've had a bad report, police, or they're on some type of probation parole and they don't want to be harassed. But, um, a lot of I think there needs to be a dialogue that needs to we just continue to work on communication with people, how, how you're dealing with it, as, as well as some of the policies to change in regards to some departments that are ancient policies that need to be revamped and looked at, which I think a lot of the mayors are starting to do with some of the city departments and the chiefs. So. Well, one of the things you mentioned, two things that ring common with what I hear now, um, 
one being um, de-escalation and, and the ability to talk to somebody and not take it up to, well, we know what de-escalation is, but not to not take it up to a, a point where now the person that's, that's being detained is reacting to what you're doing. Um, how much of that is taught in training, in, in academy? How much of that is a human skill? Um, well, I think from my knowledge, from this generation that is coming out into the workforce, uh, obviously the phones are more apt to communication and the emojis versus the verbal. We didn't have all this when we came up. So we can, we, we, a lot of us got the gift again. Um, so with the academy, they just kind of put in with our use of force block de-escalation tied into that because obviously you're, you need to de-escalate your use of force situations when you're presented with them. And then when we have not just the classroom use of force, but as well as the practical use of force when they're actually going through their hours for that, mm-hmm. um, they got to communicate. And then oh, with the scenarios, a lot of the recruits are failing scenario-based uh, tests because of their inability to communicate, whether they don't get enough information. So they don't they don't do right, they arrest them not supposed to because they're not communicating right, or they're using the improper force, or they're not using any force or whatever the case may be. So that's a big thing that we're working on. Within the department, um, I th- we have like a continual professional training as they call it, there's certain classes and things we have to do. Um, and I think that de-escalation is becoming more of a prevalent thing. Um, we have a thing we call tactical communication, which is, I think now it's just transferred over to de-escalation. But it, the tactical communication is like you're, you're pull somebody over and they're like, hey, F off, I don't want to deal with you. And, or they won't time to take it. And you, you kind of go through a five-step process. Is there anything, ending with, is there anything I can say or do to get you to go along with the process? You know, so you start off with real basic, boom. And then by the end, it's, and I've, I've, I've caught myself out there, whether it be at the jail or whether it be a treat, is there anything I can say or do? People are just calling me every name in the book. Mm-hmm. And is that kind of like your last, your last step before you've got to start using, using the next process? Yeah. For me, for me, it's been like that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you listen to them and you're like, okay, but I need you to do this. I need you to lock down. I need you to go into your cell. Oh, I got to do it. Listen, we can work on that, but I need you to go into your cell. Ah, is, is there anything I can say? You know, after you go through and it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to essentially go through this process with you. I could just essentially, we could just go and snatch and throw you in there, but we're trying to eliminate that turning into a whole another situation. Right. So you try to talk to them or whatever. And then depending on the type of inmate or person, I mean, if you're, if you're in the jail, it's a little easier because depending on the situation, you might call a sergeant, they might call a whole team together. Once they get that whole team together, certain inmates know, oh, okay, I better lock down. But on the street, um, you got to move a little quicker. I had a situation actually, and I think about it, we got a call for um, what we call 5150, mentally ill, uh, potential, and he's probably drunk. Um, his mama called it on him, and he's he's been dealt with many times before, and I get there, I think I was around the corner and I wasn't actually dispatched to it, but I responded because of the type of call it was. And I get around the corner, I get there and I see him walking down the street and I had a partner pull right up next to me. And this dude is completely out of control and he's yelling and his fists are clenched. He's doing all this. We kept our distance. We tried to talk to him. He's spitting on the ground, doing all this. So I'm like, hey, let me get additional, another car. We're trying to talk to him, trying to talk to him. I didn't even know this at the time. There was a vehicle parked on the side on the curb and a gentleman, there's a man in there and had his two kids in the car and they were 
about to get out, but he saw us roll up, saw this happen. Later on, I found out he told his kids, don't you open that door, stay in the car. Wow. I had my taser out and he was in my taser down with me and my partner. And my partner kept saying code four. I didn't know. I was just telling this back. We're still communicating, still communicating. And then I came in. Well, I had to wait for a few other people. And then we kind of came in and kind of cornered them. We got them cuffed up, whatever. They ended up sending them in jail. But I spoke to, um, I mean, that situation, we could have just ended up snatching them up or take, could have done a bunch of things. But just talking to him, it's clear he had something else going on on top of being drunk. But I remember the father or whoever this man was that lived this residence in front of me, he put his window down as I'm leaving. He said, I, I want you to, I want to say thank you. He said, you, your partner handled that very well. You talked to him. He was very upset, very irate, very aggressive. And you all did not allow that to overcome you. You talked to him and that was handled very well. I had no, because my mind, I'm focused on him and I'm looking just beyond to see if anybody else is walking up. No idea that man was in the car. And that's all just from being calm realizing what I have, knowing that I have the ability to tase him if I need to, but at the same time, he was staying local. He wasn't trying to advance no weapon, but it was just a matter. He's aggressive. He wasn't trying to charge us, but if all these things coming up, I had every right through my policy and procedure, through what was going on, to tase him, mm-hmm. but I didn't because it was like, we're looking, my, in my mind, I felt like I can still talk to this person. We're trying to, and I have a few more cars coming where we can kind of do this with a non- uh, you know, without getting too crazy on the forge, you know, but it actually worked itself out. But why did you think that? Why did you think you could still talk reason? Because he, the I had enough distance between myself, my partner, and him. We had enough distance, and he was mainly going side to side. You no, know, and then obviously his conversation was just more of a babble of he was upset. Um, you know, so it was more like he wasn't. It wasn't like what they call suicide by cop or he wasn't trying to, I don't think he wanted to harm. He got an argument with his family in the house. So it was like, you're knowing the backstory from what this dispatch gave us and talking to him and dealing with him. And then knowing that he was under the influence, you could see that, you know, of drinking and just from how it was presented and what we had, he wasn't trying to advance on me. You know? So, you know, he's just spitting on the ground, like stay away. Very simple. So it's like, we had, there's a, was it a, a statement that's always brought to us? When, what's important now? You know, what's your hurry? What look at what you have and try to try to base it out because that ended up being better than if we would have jumped and now we would have, you know, if we would have jumped right on it, that could have turned into a bigger thing. But right then and there we realized we have everything under control. He's essentially located. There's no other people out. He's not trying to hurt anybody, not trying to hurt himself. Not aggressive towards you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's clinched fists or whatever, but he's you know, he's flexing up but he's not coming towards us you know so you're i'm looking at all of this and your mind race and all this is happening within like this time frame like it's right moving right well that's that's why i asked that it seems like a lot to have to contemplate in a time that you, when i say how do you know because until you know you don't know how mm-hmm. endangered you're or someone that's around in the area how endangered their lives could be you try to judge things right then and there a lot of it, I mean, from what I do a lot of times when I was on patrol in the courts, I'd run through scenarios in my head. It keeps your mind firing. When you're when you're out there, you run through scenarios in your head. So when you arrive, your brain is not like on sleep mode and then re, re, regrouping. You always run through scenarios in my head. Well, when we're talking, we're talking about like de-escalation and, and it, it seems unfair almost that there, I mean, absolutely there should be training, but it almost seems unfair that that is checked off as you did it 
because there's no way to prepare for how someone's going to react, especially mm-hmm. when everyone's everyone's um, stakes are different. Someone could be, you know, someone could could have a a relative or a great lawyer or whomever that's well off that's going to be able to get them out, and they've done it before, and they're thinking, whatever, do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. There could be someone that has a family, a wife, kids, cousins, grandmother, that if they spend a night in jail, they're going to lose their job and they can't go to jail. There could be someone that's got a hell of a record and sit in a stolen car with a felony in the trunk. And you don't have a way to know, A, how that person's going to react or B, mm-hmm. what that person's reaction means. Right. A lot of people just act aggressive because they don't want a speeding ticket because they think if they make you feel bad for giving them a ticket. Yeah. You also don't know if that person's acting like that because they have a gun under their seat. Mm-hmm. You just and it's every situation, every situation you walk into, it's just, it's just I mean, don't get me wrong. There's there's every situation for the most part that I've gone into. Yeah, your heart's racing, your mind's racing. I mean, there's times when I. This was just the, the first call I went. I hadn't been out on patrol in a couple of years. I went up to help on Wednesday night. First call we go out to, we have to go out. You know, we're going looking for a assault subject who essentially the victim saw the individual who shot them. And he's walking around the street. And we roll up, my partner and I, and, you know, it's like, oh, we'll hop in the car. You know, you know, you, you have your weapon out low ready. You don't know this person does it. You know, and I remember, like, when I first got home, I was like, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, my adrenaline's up. You know, you're shaking a little bit. Don't get me wrong. There's... I can probably say there's numerous officers out there. When you do stuff, you're nervous, you're scared, but you stick to your training. Mm. I worked nights for three months when I finished the program. I was like, every night I'm like, oh, you've heard your traffic stop. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm walking up in on because it's dark. Yeah, you got your lights and all that. But at the end of the day, I don't know what the hell's going on in that car. Don't know what the hell's happening when I go to a house. Don't know none of that. So it's like, that's why I trained myself back when I was at the courts. Because I'm thinking, what well, if somebody takes over a courthouse or if someone comes in as an active shooter? What am I gonna do? I got a courtroom here, I got a jury, I got I got a gal, I got a whole full of you know people in the audience, I got the judge, I got this. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna hit the magnetic lock. I'm gonna tell the judge and the court reporter and the clerk in the chamber, you know, all these things I'm running through my head. Take the inmate, put him in the stairwell where we have him. Like, so when I'm driving around, I'm like, hey, if they put out a call or this happens, thinking about my radio traffic, I'm thinking about that. That's just me. Whenever I get home from patrol every day my whole body would just shut down. And if it was a busy day, I would just be done where I couldn't even function because it's like, it's tense. Like I went out those two days. I got home Wednesday night, my whole entire body muscles, everything. All I did was drive around and get out. Obviously a couple of times and deal with some stuff. We had an arrest, this and that. But it was like, you're tense because it's like, you're on all cylinders. You're looking around, your head's on a swivel, you're moving. And so it's like, you have to train yourself how to deal with that and how to we're gonna, and that's what we're trying to get across these recruits. And then if they try to get across them in the academy and some people, when they get done through all that, you know, it, it's a matter how you deal with it. Some people don't have an outlet. I'm fortunate enough to have a retired deputy as a husband. So when I went through training program in, in, in patrol, I was almost 10 years on. I could come home and vent to him and come back the next day and be fine. A lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. Even in this job as a whole, like when, even with all this going on right now in society, I can go talk to my husband about it. It'd be great. A lot of people don't have that. So it's a coping skill. So people don't know how to turn that switch off. If you got crap going on at home, you're going through a divorce, you're going through this, you're going through that. People don't know how to turn that switch off. And a lot of people bring their baggage to the job with them. Um, we have a peer support program within our department. 
That was started not too long after 9-11. Um, what is it? And that peer support. And so what it is, is if you, if I know, if you're working with me and I know something's not right with you or you, you're making some off, off, off statements that I'm concerned, I might refer you to someone who's on the peer support team and then that they'll reach out to you and then they'll meet with you. Um, or like we had a recruit who kind of had some, could tell some things were going on. She just recently graduated and something going on at home. And I talked to her and I was like, you don't have to give me your information. I don't want to be on your business, but I'm going to refer you to the sergeant who's on peer support and he's going to he refer to somebody. And then I checked back in with her a couple weeks. She good. Yeah. We're going to take care of blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. So it's more of a looking out for your partner. You know what I mean? And that's, what I'll say, at least the, the, the black deputies that I know that we're looking out for each other, you know, reach out, hey, are you good? You good? You need somebody to talk to, you know, because it's, you have to have some outlet, whether it's in this type of situation, whether you've, you saw too many dead bodies or you saw your first dead body or you saw a shooting or you had to shoot somebody. There's a lot of things that are on your plate. And if people carry that with them and then they take it out there in the field and their aggression's too high and they get mad because someone tells them to F off and then they start a use of, you know, there's a whole bunch of things like, so here's a hard question. Um, and again, this is all based off of like television, right? But, you know, in Breaking Bad, uh, Jane's dad is air traffic controller and his daughter dies in the show and he comes back to work too soon. And it's basically they, the, the moral is that he shouldn't have come back to work. But there's a lot of things and it's almost like it's almost like suggested how ridiculous it is that he came back after his daughter had died and going through trauma. It almost feels like when you're describing that for me, and this is why it's a difficult question, but is that not strong enough if someone's going through something hard and they have to make life or life and death decisions at that point, should that not be a shutdown complete? Hey, there's something going on. You've been recommended to, you know, to, what's it called? Peer support. Peer, peer support. support. Mm-hmm. You've been recommended to peer support because you're saying some things that seem a little bit off, or I know that you're going through something. Should that not be an automatic? Hey, with what you what you're responsible for, whatever you know, the fact that someone said it said something to pull you out, or, or said something to call you out, not in a negative way, but just because there's a concern. Should that not be a, a I don't know, a period to say you're. For the next two weeks, you're off until we can make sure that you're cool to, to continue on. Yeah, I think they it's have. I mean, to continue on. Command staff does something like that. Something like, I mean, and even if people come back and they notice something, they might remove you from your normal position and kind of put you in like a, a position that, you know, I take you off the street and say, hey, we're going to put you over here just so you cool down and check, you know, have some things to be we'll checked back in with you. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're good, we'll check back in with you to make sure like you're really good. But that, those those decisions, unfortunately, they're out of my pay grade. The command staff decisions, obviously, people can take off as long as they need. I don't know if there is a procedure that some people from our department have to go through if, if uh, like, if they're involved in a shooting or something, that they have to follow up with something um, or someone prior to coming back. But a lot of times, you don't, you know, I mean, you might not know what's going on in somebody's house. They could be aggressive. That could be their personality from the gate. And you might not know what's going on. Like when he gets home, his house is in shambles or, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Or he's living a double life. You know what I mean? He's got side pieces. You might not know because when they come to work, all you know is, oh, this is, this is Bob. He's a cool dude, whatever. It's my partner. Where I work, he's on point. You know, even, even when you might think of like, oh, he's moody today. 
He's just tired. We were working a lot. We had this big case. Like, that's the problem. People make excuses. When you lay out situations like that, and I ask you, like, the question I asked, and then when I bring up, like, the idea of something that people have asked about, and that's, like, civilian oversight, some sort of a, a civilian board or something that's non-departmental uh, uh-huh. for oversight, is that something that, you know, when you talk about these people who are having issues and the only people necessarily to police it or call it out are other police, do you see a fix in that, in, in that, in that a civilian oversight? And I'm not saying that is it, I don't know, but it, it, for me, it feels like there needs to be some sort of governing body that's a check and balance that's not the police department protecting their own, but someone to look at it from another perspective to say, now this guy's out. And if it, even if it's just for two weeks and, and you've all missed it, I'm sure that that would, that would reduce a lot of incidents, whether they're killings, uh, robber, you know, people skimming shit from whatever we've in Philadelphia, there's all these cases that have been overturned from guys who were confiscating drugs and then I think pushing them back out on the street on their own. Um, all these different things that it, it feels like there needs to be someone outside of the fraternity of police to mitigate. Yeah. Mitigate and inject some, some common sense law. It's hard to say who that should be, but I believe that there should be, there should be something. It's just hard to say who should be. I know there's a lot of cities uh, that have a citizen review board. Um, I think the one of our one of the cities in our county has one. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Hayward has one. And obviously, there's pros and cons. But I think that's what I think. This this whole situation as a whole has made everything come to a head. And I believe that there has to be uh, several minds coming from several different entities. Uh, whether you know it be chiefs and uh, community leaders and yeah. uh, city councilmen and mayors. And sheriffs, all there's got to be, and it's got to be whether it's and it's sworn and non-sworn uh, people. There's got to be a, a bunch of people that can come to a sit down and just have discussions, and it's got to be open discussions, right? Um, honest, yeah, open honest, open honest. and honest. Because in order for us to to move forward, and us being both black and blue, we've got it. It, it can't be a okay. We made the arrest. Okay, we'll see what happens in court. Let it. Let it see what ha- let's see what happens with jury trial, whatever, and move on to the next situation until boom, another thing arises. Now we're back out here. Um, I don't foresee this kind of going away. Um, and unfortunately, the life of George Floyd has sparked this, but it's got to be because I honestly, they're, they're, I don't know where and they said if it's, if it's a if it is a citizen review ward, there's got to be other pieces to the puzzle because I'm the positives of citizen review boards you have an outside. The negatives is you have that outside that can be informed. doesn't really understand some of the things that um, the law, some of the law enforcement based things, and it's kind of hard to explain it to some of them and, for them to understand. It. That's and all. they can be influenced, right? Yeah. Um, if you had a situation like this, and, and I think no matter what the situation would be, um, if George Floyd had a had a knife in his pocket. Um, I think people would watch that tape and see that the eight minutes that he knelt on his neck would be horrible. I don't see a citizen board being able to see it from from a police perspective of if they had said, well, he had a gun and a knife in his in his pocket that we were unable to retrieve. I still don't see a, a citizen board saying, 
Well, no, I, I think it still goes the way of the public. I think, you know, right, and that's what's that's what we need the police for, essentially. Yeah. That's why we need the police to be able to see things objectively, I guess. And there's no simple way. I, I like what you said with having community organizers and just yeah, you gotta bring you gotta bring all to the plate. You gotta have you gotta have and it's gotta be people, you know, because there's we got a lot of different community organizers, we got a lot of different um, you know, people in regards to your city council and your mayors, but it's gotta be people that are willing to be open. You know, it can't be people to come in here like my way or the highway. You gotta we're beyond that point now. We've gotta have all these people everyone needs to come to the plate ready to listen and realize that everything you bring to the plate may not be accepted because we have some other stuff coming from the left. Things come from the front, things come from the back. It all has to come together and we all have to come to a common agreement. And I think, I think we'll get there slowly. I just think that it's past due. It's way past due. It needs to happen all across the board and everyone's not going to be happy. It's never going to be an opportunity for everyone to be happy because if you got law enforcement that may not be happy because they feel like, well, you're catering towards this and that, but then you got, the community members, everyone can be happy because they feel like the law enforcement still has the upper hand. Well, at the end of the day, there's a job that law enforcement has to do. It just needs to be capped in regards to certain things need to be reevaluated so that things are done right. And then the community has to understand, hey, you got to abide by the law. Not saying that because this thing happened that this man didn't abide by the law. No, that's not right. But you still got to do what you're supposed to do in a sense. And then if there's things that keep transpiring and we, we keep, I think that whatever group comes together needs to have a, a quarterly time they come together, right? Review, you right. know what I mean? Or maybe twice a year, whatever the case may be. You got these people that come together um, and talk about these things and say, where are we at on the board with this? You know, or where are we at? How's this going? Let's look at, you know, they got, we got numbers for bias, you know, the criminal profiling or whatever you want to call it. How, we got to document every time we pull a car over. We have to we have to label the age, the, the gender, the, the the race, all of that. So all of that's compiled, and each year it's looked at by by my my department heads. So maybe they do that with that. How are we looking at this? Well, is there a skewing this or skewing that? Well, that neighborhood's predominantly black. Maybe that explains it. However, the case may be, but in order for everything to work all around, there has to be people from all different groups coming together a couple times a year realizing that you're not going to get everything you want, but there has to be something that's going to change. How much does race play into, and again, I know you're, you're back out on the street now helping out, but um, how much does race for you just in general play a part in what you do? Um, this, this was the other part of when you were just kind of talking about some of your experiences. Um, I think the, the phrase that we hear is the police are here to protect one group of people and police another group of people. And when you talk about the story that you had of, of, of de-escalating that situation um, with the guy who's drunk and, and you, at the end of the day, you were protecting him, you were protecting the people around, you didn't, you didn't make it worse, but how much of that is, I don't know, I don't wanna say necessary, um, I guess just how much of that is in your head as far as this is a black community. I understand how black people perceive the police. I need to approach this differently. Does that, is that a thing that enters in your mind as a black woman? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I kind of just, I kind of me personally when I'm out there or when I was out there, 
you kind of look at what you got and you handle it as needed. I mean, I've, I've, I've rolled up on several situations where maybe it's all black and whatever. Okay, well, if I got it, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm taking a minute, taking it all in. Well, even though that minute may be about five to six seconds because everything's transpiring so quickly, you got to separate here, separate right, left, whatever, find the source. You go over here. And then when I, you know, when you get a chance to come, look, you got to stop screaming. You got to stop this. Let us handle it. But at the same, we have, so our unincorporated area, the core of our population in some of that area is Mexican. Um, some undocumented. So for me, it's hard because I'm not able to really fully communicate. Sure. Um, and then there is, there is a, there's a high percentage of, uh, of uh, African-American. And then even there's not really as fully white um, in where we're recovering. It's not really a fully white. So it, for me, I mean, I can't speak very well. A lot of minorities. Yeah. For me, it's just when I arrive, it's what I'm dealing with. Like, so it's like, I, I look at what I got and let's just handle it this way. And it's knowing, I mean, it, I don't think about the black versus white. Cause it's like, I'm dealing with this as a deputy. Um, so it's fortunate. I think if I was in Oakland, it probably might be a little different uh, because the core, you know, the high percentage of black in Oakland. Um, but I think I think it comes differently when you're out there on the front line of these protests and stuff. Um, I know in this, I haven't been on the front line for any of the riots or anything like that for for this particular case, but I have been out in other situations. Um, my stepson, who's also a deputy, went out Saturday night, um, and I think he was one of, it might have been the only black in his squad, but it's like they they gravitate to you. Um, and they gravitated to him. He's like, he's like, I mean, for him, he's been on a year. And so that was very- They being the protesters or the police? Yeah, the protesters, you know, because they're looking at it, they come right to you. Pointing, um, why are you yeah. standing Why are them? you here? What do you know? You This and that. And that, that, that only time that actually happened to me, I was working the courts and there was a protest at the Board of Supervisors right across the street from the main courthouse. And we go over because they kind of broke the barrier, interrupted their meeting. Um, and we're in there and I had one person, like we're just standing by, we're not engaging with them. Uh, these, these protesters, probably about a handful of them and just standing by waiting orders for, from our supervisors. And I had one that was in talking to me like, how can you be out here? You're black and Smith and and I didn't, I didn't say nothing. And it wasn't, it wasn't a black person. It was either Hispanic or white, but there was a black person who was running it. And I remember she looked at that person and said, hey, leave her alone. And I didn't, you know, you don't, but it's just, you know, a lot of, cause it's like, they, they gravitate to you. Like, oh, why are you here? Yeah. Well, I'm here to work. Granted, you might not like that I'm doing this profession, but I, if you actually sat down and talked to me, I have done several things that are working for community-related things and, and trying to make a change. And so you can go back and forth, but it's not... My thing is I'm not going to go back and forth with you in that setting. If you wanted to sit down with me in another setting, say, hey, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of them are just trying to get a rise out of you. But um, In public. Yeah. They, they, the biggest thing that they could... the What they want... And this is why I brought it up earlier as far as, you know, you took an oath. No matter what, your goal isn't to fix this on your own by yourself and say, this is fucked up. I'm just going to... I'm just going to make everyone do what I think is right. You know, you took mm-hmm. an oath and you're working within a system and no matter what you see as far as an injustice, in my eyes, your job, your role is to try to fix it within the system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like if you, if someone got off for a murder that you're 98% sure the guy did it, that we could count on you to go bust in the guy's door and just shoot him. 
Yeah. That's not what the police do. There's a specific type of system. And I think the frustration in a lot of people in America is the inability to differentiate between the system and people using the system to fit what they want it to be. Yeah. And there's a lot of, it's hard, lot it's of- hard to see it between. Cause like you mentioned, right. You pull over your, or in your community where it's my majority minority, that's what you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. if, if you, like you mentioned, if you were to police in this area back where you grew up, um, you would hate to have to get physical with someone, you know, or, or mm-hmm. knock on someone's door that, you know, and, they're probably going to be black in that case. And and there's no ability to say, oh, well, you're black. I'm just going to let this go. And, and you've got it. It's not your job. And I think, I think at the end of the day, that's what the anger about the George Floyd situation is that mm-hmm. this was over a counterfeit bill. And this, this police officer um, decided to play judge and jury and executioner. Yeah. And it's just crazy because it's like, Floyd. We say what this initially the encounter was for, and I, I saw the surveillance video from the initial contact of him, you know, because, you know, they say, oh, he resisted or he this and that. From the original from, side of the street where the where the cuffing. Yeah, where they, when he was sitting car, in the driver's seat and they the pull car, and it's yeah. just like everything initially, there was no at what I would consider active resistance. They got him out of the vehicle. Um, I'm like, OK, they got him out. Good tactics. They kept him in that triangular, the jam of the door. They cuffed him up. Okay. They moved him over. Like everything was so. Like well, and they, I was like, I, I, I could. So they, got they got, they got his passengers out of the car, and then mm-hmm. they put him against the wall originally. Maybe yep. had him sat him down, down stand yeah. up. At that point, all and that I could was- look at everything, and I'm like, okay, this is right. Typical. We would get them out. We move them here. We're getting their information. He looks like I'm like he gave that card to that person. He's running a warrant check identification like I, i'm i'm saying okay then they pick him up and they move him okay they move him across the street what after that, that i don't know what happened what is that the across the street so they went from what i from from my vantage vantage point watching that surveillance videos and they moved him the whatever patrol car they'd go over there because it was an initial officers walked over from their patrol car but so, it's not, it's not their patrol car right it wasn't the, the arresting officers because they pulled up. The arresting behind. officers came up later. So they were trying to, from my vantage point, the initial people that made contact moved him to across the street to their patrol car. What I believe is put him in the back of that car because maybe he's, until they investigate or feel like you move him and put him over here, whatever the case may be. What happened from that point on is still, I just would have loved to have known what occurred because you have video footage to show that he was in the car. So then close the door. And, I think that's, and that's kind of like my, my end of argument, like line when I just say, why don't they just put him in the fucking car, put him in the they car, had enough people, yep. you, you know, it, it's like, you want to, you want to be done with the situation. Why make it, it felt like such a, let's make this a thing mm-hmm. by doing this in front of everybody with all the cameras. I just, and you talk, and that's why I asked you about like, what doesn't you talk about tunnel vision, but he seems so calm, which is what disturbed. Yeah, I think he just had an, I mean, me personally, I just feel like he had an I don't care attitude. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about over here. I don't care what you're talking about. I'm waiting, I'm, I'm doing my job. Here is, it's all these people. It's a mindset, all these people on the, on over here, everybody wants something to say. Whatever they, whatever reason he was down on the ground. And that was that. So, I mean, it, it was, regardless of law enforcement or not, it was, I know several, I mean, even my partners, I know several law enforcement officers that, you know, it was painful to watch that. 
being yeah. in law enforcement because it's like, what the hell are you doing? But until they go across the street, and I and, and I do think that the report, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think that he had mentioned not not feeling well at that point when he had been cuffed. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he collapsed. I don't know. I don't. I supposedly it already rendered aid. I think. But at some point, that. there's a video to show at some point he was in the car. So that's what I'm confused about. Yeah. Um, I guess how much is like coercion and the, the um, fear of a veteran officer? How real is that for? And I don't know. How I mean, I feel like it's 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 real because some people feel like, oh, well, they know. But here's the thing. Regardless, my mindset is regardless, I don't care how much time you got on. Wrong is wrong. And you you might have a, a understanding of 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 like oh I'm you know the law or our department policy or the neighborhood you patrol or whatever shit wrong is wrong and at this point in time I don't care if you got 15 years on you got one that right there is wrong and that's what we are trying to relate to our recruits you should speak up and if you get backlash because you're MTO whatever whatever and so be it I'll take the backlash. Well, let me ask you, in that situation, say you are, you're one of the officers that gets called to that scene, and we didn't know it at the time. We thought it was just the, the Asian officer yeah, and the white guy, the the car. Yeah. and then you find out there's two other guys behind the car holding him down. Say you're one of those officers that gets called to the scene, and I think one had said, hey, should we maybe like roll him over or something? Uh, and he says, literally, realistically, what do you do? Well, that's a, that's what we that's that's an individual thing. You know what I mean? Like you, if you feel like that's the need, then you gotta that somebody should have took pulled him back. We're putting him in the car, but it you know what I mean? You don't know. Obviously, he's the veteran officer, so they just they just went along with him. You know, I'm assuming. But it's a matter of I think this will come. I mean, yeah, you don't want to get in a conversation with one of your partners in the street, but you might just say, "Hey, dude, move. We're putting him in the car." People have a fear of what I believe is a fear or, you know, maybe just an uneasy feeling about speaking up because you, that no one wants to be that one. So the times have changed. People, somebody's got to be that one. Now you gotta be, I'm not going to be the one sitting in a damn jail cell. I'll tell you that. So I guess, and, and I heard you about tunnel vision, but that's kind of the twofold for me that makes me so mad, but also so confused because it's the same exact answer. Right? So part of me, if I'm the other two officers are going, fuck, we're on camera, we can't show dissension in the ranks. I understand that when you, you're you in a, a company or whatever and you don't show dissension publicly. Yeah. And and that, that old man who fell down and, and the cop who pushed him tried to check on him and, and the other officer pulled him up and I can only imagine he said, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going, you can't. But then the other part of me goes, fuck, I'm on camera holding this guy down. I can't be on camera holding this black man down with this white man's knee on his neck. I've got to do something. I mean, in in reality, what do you? I, I can only imagine it turns into a physical. That period is such a long period of time. At some point, someone's got to be like, "Yo, let's go. What are we doing?" This guy's dead. Especially when people are yelling, "Hey, he's not. He's not responsive. He's bleeding." Maybe that's, that's what that officer. Maybe what that officer was feeling was like, "Oh, it's time." But it's like. There has to be something, you know what I mean? It's got to come, you know, that's what I say. You don't don't have a fear to speak up, you know what I mean? If, don't have a fear to speak up. This day and age, something's always caught on camera. 
So do you feel this? I mean, and because I feel like this is the most extreme of situations, there's other, there's always other situations where mm-hmm. this goes on and it's confusing, even with the Eric Garner situation as, you know, as open and closed as I think that is, I can almost understand a guy being afraid of a large black man and you're choking him and you don't know that you're choking him and he's flailing and you think he's trying to hit you. I've been in that mm-hmm. situation um, where I've been choked and I thought I was being attacked and he tightened the chokehold and it took me just saying, I'm cool, I'm cool, shout out to Mr. Dixon, to say, to, to, to stop hitting the person I was hitting. But he didn't know, but at that point when I was, when that happened to me, I didn't know if I was being jumped. Yeah. And so am I, am I swinging back? Whatever. I can understand not knowing the situation. Um, but I don't know. I just, how do you, how do you gauge that? It, realistically in any human way, how is someone to gauge? That's the other question, right? I, I, I've always heard that when officers are pepper sprayed, um, or when, when officers get pepper spray there, they are pepper sprayed or they experience what it's like. Is oh, yeah. That true? Oh yeah. I got pepper spray. <laughs> so in a, spray. in a, in a, you know, a death hole type of situation, a chokehold, things like that, our officers and and I know it was legal in Minnesota, they've just outlawed it now, this this hold, but is that something, as far as you know, do people get to experience that to know how to apply? So we we go we go over the carotid retreat in our department. We're allowed to use the carotid um and we do we don't get choked the hell all the way the hell out, but we go over it enough for you, you know, and I've been I've been the the person that is going and I got this big muscular, you know, deputies, show, you know, around here, uh, excuse me, arm around my neck. And it's like, you know, they, they know how to type in. You're like, all right, I'm good, you know, but because um, we're also taught to whatever moves to try to get out of that. How do we do that? Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, they have us experience certain things. However, we are told after a certain period of time, you need to relieve yourself from that and you are not to apply it twice within the same day, within 24 hours. So let's say you apply the karate, we apply the karate to work. Yeah. So so let's say we so let's say I apply the karate upon you and you go out. If you come back too and I don't fully have you detained or whatever, I'm not supposed to apply the shit again. Wow. Um, Then we're taught that and we're we're, we're over in regards to um if I'm trying to apply to you and that's not working, then I need to transition to something else. Because of the, if I'm not doing it right, or if you're, I could essentially be crushing. We, we teach that and we're telling you're crushing certain area in here. So if you try and try, and it's been, I think if I'm not mistaken, if it's about 15, 30 seconds, you haven't gone out then I need to transition to something else. I need to transition to something else. I need to go something else. I should not continue to be trying to do this. It's not going to hurt you. That's training that we at my department go. Okay. So it's well, just. Mean, yeah. When you think of that, I mean, and, and I think that's the. I mean, I go through it with every video and to be honest, prior to over the last like year, two years, uh, it was something I tried to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, when all these incidents were happening, it was too much. And I was not accustomed to everything being filmed on, on the internet. Um, it was so it's, much it's changed. It's changed a lot. And then, it's changed and then... because, because it feels like, especially when you're catching after the fact and you know that the end result is he died. You find yourself looking at these videos and and in this case of George Floyd, where they're telling him you're killing him, 
you find yourself yelling, you're fucking killing him. And so when you say that you've got restrictions on how long and the amount of times you're allowed to apply it now, that makes me have a, and again, Minnesota's different. Minnesota just outlawed it. I don't know what the restrictions were on applying neck holds, carotid artery, put your knee on someone's neck, all that stuff. Yeah. But when I hear that, it at least makes me feel better that they're, the common sense aspect of it at least is, is somewhat a part of this. Yeah, we, we for sure, like that's something that's embedded in, and a lot of times you go through some of this training, you're like, oh, I got to go through this training again. But that's certain things embedding you. Like you're not, there's restrictions on, if you operate outside of that or you do a choice, that's in your screw. You know what I mean? Because it's the very young or the very old. You know what I mean? And there's not a time, we're not supposed to apply the carotid on the very young. So you're not supposed right. to put the carotid on a freaking 10 year old kid or whatever. I'm supposed to put a carotid on a 70 year old man or pregnant. You know what I mean? There's certain, we have parameters. And then you should not, if I apply it, you go out and people, you don't, there's no specific number of seconds someone will be out. When they come back, I can't, I'm not supposed to apply that mess again. Do you have another method of subduing someone outside of just an, is, is it an either or? You could try and do a, a choke, a chokehold, or you Well, could- normally, so like the chokehold, there's only a few people that have ever done that. Like, but I, every time we go to training, they always ask who's done it. There's only a couple people that I can recall that actually done it and work. Most people don't go to that. We have a plethora of, of, of tool, of tool the options that we use. You know what I mean? Going hands on in regards to if you're going to go for technique things. Yeah. The core of the matter is you get somebody down. However, however is necessary to get somebody down. If, if it comes close to oh, I use this type of technique. So be it when you're documenting, or you say I just snatched them down by however. Mm. But when they're on their back, on their stomach, with the bullets to get them on their stomach, we, we to get them handcuffed. We're told to put a knee towards the back here you know towards the middle of the back or just right below, right below the shoulder blade mm-hmm. nothing up here and then that is essentially we say give me your arm click click we're cuffing you and then that's the use, thing that makes you go like oh it makes yeah. you when you do that like when you put pressure there it's the old put the pencil in the, the old scoliosis thing but everyone goes oh like you're supposed to yeah so there's there's area and we do that don't you get your cuff search search and then we'll bring you a stitch up and if we got a second there, we'll put your butt in the car or pick sit you up and do whatever because we got to conduct a search. Only way we would leave you down is if we're still fighting with you and we're trying to get this on or we're trying to get this situated. Once you're cuffed, there's no reason for, unless there's something else going on, but either way, there's no reason. We're moving you out of this area. We're taking you, putting you in the car, putting you on the curb, putting you somewhere out of the area so we can care and we'll take care of what we need to take care of. But that, like I say, each agency has to really go back over, evaluate their procedure and their whatever, how they're doing things. But I, what I can say about us is we, we stay up on that. I mean, we got to go, we go over every every year, we're going over some type of uh, defensive tactic, something. Whether it be carotid, whether it be this, whether it be searching, whether it be cuffing, yeah. something we're going over to make sure. And like I said, people go in there, they'll go over there, but you need to pay attention. I'm sure there'll be some changes with us in regard to this. Some some stuff, you know what I mean? Because we always want to make sure we're ahead of the, the curveball. Our sheriff wants to make sure of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you see the protesting going on, um, so my experience being down last weekend, uh, and then again, today was very different uh, than it was last weekend. But last weekend, my experience was um, general restraint from the police. Um, mm-hmm. When I got there, 
they had already deployed some tear gas, um, but a car had already been set on fire at that point mm-hmm. in North Philly. Uh, and so the, the group had been pushed uh, from going for the, further north. At that point, there were police buses, uh, like jail buses, essentially, of Philadelphia police that were in the middle of North Broad Street, two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I guess were trying to get to the, they were trying to start making arrests. By the time I got to Broad, to that part of Broad Street, the, the buses were stopped and everyone was sitting in front. And I think it was, uh, I think it was Chief Outlaw, but I, I'm not positive. I only, I've only seen some pictures of her, but it was a woman. I, I can only assume it was the chief of the new chief of police making herself seen and heard, but she backed the buses down. Um, from there, everyone kept marching and they went to City Hall. And that's where, at the municipal building, where the attempted pulling down of the Rizzo building, of the Rizzo statue started, trying to light the statue on fire. But at no point was there any resistance from the police. They were essentially, they were guarding the building itself, but they weren't pushing anyone off the platform. They weren't trying to stop anyone from tearing the statue down. They weren't trying to stop anyone from setting it on fire. They weren't trying to stop anyone from, and I don't know who set the the big fires at City Hall, um, just from, I just don't want to say it's protesters because at, on that specific day, I saw so many people uh, dressed in all black breaking shit yeah. and setting random fires, but no one, there were no police there to say, hey, don't light that on fire. It was just, fires were just starting up everywhere and you're just seeing smoke and large flames. And then you find out, Oh, these are cars. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I don't know, do you have any understanding, understanding about the restraint that was shown at least in Philadelphia? And I know there's been some, there's been destruction in other cities during the protests that not the looting, the straight up, um, what we're seeing with a lot of kids and anarchists and other people who are just looking for opportunities, but people who are, destroying things and and on purpose to get attention and protest. And can you talk about the the restraint that you see from the police and what that's about? Yeah. For, well, the generally from what I understand is we, I think with this situation, it's a lot different. I think that many, if not all departments don't want to be the next star as you would call it, or the next one who's on the news. But it's like with with this being such a a hot-butted topic and situation, there's only a certain amount of us out there. And so I think if a lot of times they're monitoring, we have, from my experience, we have people that are monitoring and then they put out radio traffic, hey, they're they're heading down 98th or they're heading down this street, they're doing this. So we're we're watching them. they're allowing them to do this because if we get involved in a lot of situations, things go haywire and then we could be the next button. So they're monitoring, they're watching. And then what happens is they regroup the next night. And as you see, as they regrouped, things were different the next night. And mm-hmm. then they enforce this curfew order. So it's more so do we, what is it, is it necessary for us to jump in here right now? Or is it necessary for us to identify, okay, we have a fire here, we have a fire here. How bad is that fire here? If that fire here is not that bad, looks like the crowd's moving, we'll let that crowd go, we'll close this block off here, close this block off here, then we can get fire in. If that fire is really bad, then they probably would have peeled down the street and got everybody off. Um, well, okay, the crowd's going over here, they're damaging this and this and that. 
it's unfortunate. We don't want it to happen, but if they want to win in there uh, right away, then you're down. Now you're going in a battle. Now it's news feed, feed and helicopter feed, phone feed of all this thing going on. And it's like, was it, it's a matter of, was it necessary right then and there? Or do we allow them this little leeway? Like they went, Sam, like I said, the city of San Leandro stole their 74 cars. They're dealing with that while they looted a 7-Eleven just up the street from our precinct in the San Leandro border and uh, all that. And a guy I was riding with Wednesday night was like, yeah, they were hitting the 7-Eleven. They called San Leandro and said, we ain't got time to deal with that. We got to get over here to these outlets because there's that's more important. So it's whatever's a more pressing issue. So it's unfortunate they had this car on fire. It's unfortunate they had this, but there was probably more of a pressing issue or was it necessary for them to jump in right then and there? But they did make the necessary steps to lock everything down, to do this, and then force the orders those next few nights. Then once things calm back down, then they back back up and allow these things to happen. So it's it's a matter of when you're looking at the heads of each of these cities, these mayors and the chiefs and the, the heads of these SWAT teams and these response units and what you, it's because like us, we go as mutual aid. So we're Oakland says this, this, and that. We cover that area. Then we follow the orders of our command, commanding officer for us. And if they say go, then we go. If we deploy something, then that's on us. It's not on Oakland. You know, but we obviously document everything and things like that. But it's just a matter of, they just kind of unfortunately let people run rampant that night, but it was for a safety measure. Do we want to have more bodies in the street? Do we want to have more officers hurt? I personally, we had several people that were burned on Friday night. They were throwing Molotov cocktails. I had one deputy I know. Burned? There was his arms, his arm got burned. He got burned up because they're throwing. I was watching on Friday night last week. Oakland was just out of control. They were throwing fireworks to the police and everything. So it was things that happened. And it's just a matter of um, the restraint. I mean, it's, 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 you know, they, I know they want to be mad at law enforcement. They let them, they, people got away with a lot of stuff before this curfew order went to effect and then everything calmed down a little bit. So it's, um, that's know. interesting. You, you describe it so tactical. Um, in my simplest, in my simplicit way of of reconciling it, I look at it as like, and I think this is the hard thing when it shifts, is that I legit looked at it as black people are owed one. That's <laughs> that, that's the other half of it because I mean, not necessarily owed one, but people, I outside of my law enforcement hat, I looked at it as folks is mad, the volcano has erupted. People have been locked down on some other stuff because of this quarantine for two months, three months. Hell, people lost their job mm-hmm. because of the the, 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 of, the coronavirus. Living so, off $1,200 for, for four months. Yeah, so people came out. It was like, I ain't got nothing to lose. I ain't got nothing going on. I ain't got to get up and go to work. I ain't got nothing. I'm going to act a fool. I don't agree with the, the looting because I feel like there's a lot, a lot of, I mean, within the communities, there's a lot of loss that's going to happen. And then sure. there's, there's this curfew and then people who are still working, who are still essential, and they get home and the damn stores are closed. Like I'm watching, I'll see in all these these uh, drive-thrus with the long lines. I'm like, damn, this curfew about to come in. You ain't going to get no dinner. But um, I can understand mm-hmm. because you go out as a minority, as a black person, and you're fed up, and you go march, and you protest, and you get petitions, and you do that, everything calms down, nothing happens. This was their way to say, you know what? You will see me. You will identify this problem. You will figure out ways to rectify this issue. And there's been plenty of people that have been on the news and was like, Target should be out here marching with us. AutoZone should be out here marching with us. Where are y'all at? Y'all be everybody needs. That's why it's like everybody needs to come together. And that's what I saw that 
for those people. Like I said, I don't agree with it, but I can understand they're fed up. People are tired. It's been too long. And I think prior to like the overall rioting thing that started happening where, you know, my experience is that these, when I see it, these are, uh, one people that have nothing to do. Like I said, these are just random white people dressed in all black breaking shit. Right. But then the other, and the other part of it, there's three parts. There's, there's that, that's just the, the anarchy. Then there's also just homeless people that as I'm walking back from city hall are yelling shit. Like I've been waiting for Philly to turn up for my whole life. Mm -hmm. Right. Guys who are just sitting in the middle of the street that are taking legit pleasure out of making white guys not cross this, not be able to drive their, their Miata that yeah. they've got to turn down JFK instead because this homeless guy is going to sit and drink his whiskey in the middle of the street and no white guy would dare kick him out of the middle of the street now. Mm -hmm. But another large part of it is kids. The same kids that on the 4th of July were ransacking every shop on South Street, running into every smoke shop, running into every Walgreens, Rite Aid, mm -hmm. CBS, throwing glass jars at the cashiers. I mean, in groups of 50 to 70 more. Yeah, there's a lot of people that saw it as an opportunity. I mean, right. when, my stepson, when my stepson got out there, uh, they deployed bodies, uh, four units from the, the jail as mutual to assist. Um, and he was working and he's like, man, I, he said he got there and he's seeing people roll, t roll uh, 80 screen, 80 foot, or excuse me, 80 inch screen te televisions down one of the main thoroughfares in Oakland. And it's just like, you know, they just, they were just getting license plate because I'm watching on the news. I'm like, okay, helicopter, y'all driving your own vehicles up there. They're going to get you. Yeah. You know, they're going to get you. But it's like right now their goal was to get into that shopping center lock it down and be a police force and like i said when we were riding out on wednesday when the curfew order was lifted thursday for our area but wednesday night we were riding around i wasn't really you know i saw people out i'm like hey you guys gotta go next one goes curfew order like okay thank you all right and that's pretty much what we did you know what i mean when i think maybe out of all the people we talked to it's probably like one person where we actually got out because he was like i'm with him there's some random dude on the bike we were like no dude. like so we might have talked to him for a minute but Overall, we weren't we weren't messing with people. Like we went to the store, we go by the grocery store, and they're like, "We're just letting the last few people out." Cool, because we're looking out for these people, and within the people who are just wandering, we want to make sure you're not sneaking around trying to maybe get in get into the Seven Eleven where you're hanging out in front of right now. No, you got to go. Like you can't hang out right here. But we weren't we're not we're not trying to create. That's the thing. We're not trying to create any more drama. If we stumble across something, we stumble across it. But right, it was just like so. It's it's. They, they went back to the drawing board and created a, a plan. But with all the crap going on, Philly and all these other cities was like, let them do what they do tonight, but watch how things change the next night. And it's unfortunate. But a, a big thing in Philly, especially with the curfew, is that once the curfew was, was put in place here, and we've had some pretty strict curfews, uh, six o'clock curfews in Philadelphia outside of election night and tonight. Uh, mm -hmm. they were eight thirty and eight o'clock respectively. But outside of that, we had to be in the house by like six o'clock every night this week. Yeah, this stuff was, it was real strict. Um, but what we were dealing with was, and and this is the benefit of social media was, you know, just in the neighborhood next next to us of South Philly here in Fishtown across Gerard Avenue were crews of white guys flanked by police with sledgehammers and axes uh, taking their neighborhood back after curfew. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. People wasn't playing. And yeah. Because there's and, people that sneak around after those curfews. So there was a lot of people out there who weren't playing. It wasn't sneak. It was like like you are live on Twitter right now. Uh just marching, like proud with 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 Philadelphia police. And and I think now a lot of those pictures and videos are are being reported and they're trying to launch an investigation into all these people that were into this. But I there was an aspect of all of this that with the cur- that the curfew I think greatly affected because we've already been locked in here because of quarantine with coronavirus um, and a lot of talk about how it disproportionately affects black people um, mm-hmm. and minorities in general. And then this quarantine or and then, then this city lockdown starts happening. And then you just see white people not following the quarantine or not following the lockdown, the curfew. And police standing right next to them, yet we're watching visuals in Philadelphia, but Atlanta, New York, where cops are stopping black people in their car and just yeah. pulling out the mask and pepper spraying them because it's it's seven oh five. It's a it's a it's almost like it, it made a whole new problem out of it. But can you talk to the the quarantine from a police side? the importance of it. And, and I'm saying this as someone that I kind of do see it, but I, I understand how it's been this situation just ruined it. But why a, a curfew in the first place is even a thing. I think the curfew, I just think the curfew was put in a place just to prevent annual damage that was being done. Because even with the quarantine, the quarantine was just like, Hey, if you don't have a reason to be, because everything was closed, you don't have a reason to be out. You shouldn't be migrating. And that, that, Stayed true, but I think the, the the curfew was just to minimize the people being out shouldn't have been out. Like and they, they it worked to an extent. I mean, you still have people out, and they kind of let them go at nine or whatever, and they the numbers dissipated. But uh, I think with this whole with the with the protest, the curfew was just to, they needed to figure something out to stop the looting and the damage being done because um there really wasn't a curfew in order for the quarantine. It was just like hey. The, people weren't messing with nobody. It was like there was nothing open. So if you're right, out, nothing, you're, right? Nothing's if open. You're out. You're reason. out, like just riding around. But right. yeah, the, the whole goal because once everything stopped, the curfew orders started to be lifted. Because I think in reality, police police departments want people to be able to. It, it, it's a right. It's a, it's a first amendment right to be able to go out and freedom of speech and go out and protest. Um, however, they they had to figure something out quick, fast, in a hurry to stop. It was two or three days of just smash and grab get what you can get and go so so that's interesting for you guys uh the curfew stopped but we're still under curfew yeah it's it's certain actually there's certain portions of this area that are still under curfew um so i should say our sheriff put a curfew order for an all all of alameda county there's certain cities in the county that still have a curfew until tomorrow we in the unincorporated area where we were serving didn't have it. So when I went back out Thursday night, I, we didn't have no levity. I was like, people was out. I can't say nothing, you know. So we were just kind of just being visible um, in regards. I just was driving around, um, just making myself visible, checking certain areas just so nothing. We did see something like if people were trying to break down these boards or get into these buildings. We would stop them, but we couldn't say nothing to no one else. So, I mean, there is certain areas, though, that had it kept in and they weren't, they weren't letting up. So it, it all depended, but I, it, it was just, we had, they had to find some way to keep order um, without going in there and swinging bats and 
doing, you know, other stuff. They had to figure out something. And I, I think at least for the moment that, that worked well. That was that was a smart thing to do because you four your people were like, all right, I'm going to go sit down somewhere because yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be out here. And then you had your people that didn't give a damn and they kind of didn't really mess with them too, too much. But there was a lot of arrests because people weren't listening. And so, yeah, it's why, you know, I, I, in Philly here, we had ATM explosions just going off. Like you, I believe it. you could just hear it. Like it was like Jurassic Park. Uh, I don't, I, I don't like to use the word traumatized. This entire situation has been traumatizing from watching the footage to, you know, Wednesday night. Uh, Thursday was the first night I think we didn't have, exp- I, I don't think we had explosions, no but, explosions. But I woke up in the middle of the night because there was a giant thunderstorm and I thought I was waking up to bombs. I legit, I was like my buddy. It's like a war zone. I mean, with yeah, the, I, my, that's the way I felt riding around the other day with like the boarded up windows. And, and it's sad, but at the same time, like I said, I understand. I'm a, I am a black cop. I understand both sides of it. I understand keeping the peace and the order and trying to, trying to, trying to fix all these things. And I also understand the outrage and the pain and all of that. It's like a damn war zone out there. What do you see for like the future for, Fix and fixing sounds like such an easy word, but healing from this, you know, part of my fear is that I feel like there's been so much rhetoric that's been put out there um, against the type of things that that we've been talking about as far as are the rights and the wrongs and me as just a, a citizen and you as both a citizen, but someone that's, that's policing citizens. Um, you know, that we've talked about that are seem like common sense. And I think everyone on the up and up believes in these things, but there have been a lot of times that people have talked about stuff and haven't been completely honest with constituents, with people mm-hmm. that follow them. And I feel like it, it's almost too, you know, I, I, great example is what's been going on this weekend with the NFL and Drew Brees and, and talking about how he, you know, Neil, he's not, he'll never kneel and, he will never disrespect the flag. And then Roger Goodell had to come out and say, um, I stand, I, I should have stood with the players. Then I was wrong, whatever. But at the same time, we've still already put out this word over the last three years that kneeling for the American flag is anti-American. Kneeling during the national anthem at a paid performance for an NFL game is, a, is anti-American. I don't know how you unbrainwash people that have used that as their now defense line. So many people that just have nothing to do with being in the service or a police officer or play NFL. They're just some dude named Jerry that watches football every week and is told that this is un-American. I don't know how you deprogram that person's brain to not hating black people for kneeling because guaranteed everyone's going to start kneeling. now. Yeah. So how do we... How do we move towards a positive outcome for all of this? I think that there'll be a, I think a general respect that will come. I think you're going to have your people that don't agree with how future handlings of this will be until change is coming. And that, I don't think we would have been able, ever been able to, to really sway those individuals. Um, but what I do believe as long as, People, as long as people stay active uh, and make this a non-isolated incident, because it's like they want to look at things as more of like, oh, this is isolated. Right. I think we, the pressure is going to have to stay on the the particular leaders, and I already see certain law enforcement agencies really trying to 
work to make those changes. But in regards to the people who already have their mindset, you're not going to be able to change their mindset. They may keep their mouth closed uh, and not be as vocal. Uh, but you're never, you're, you're not, you're, their mindset is their mindset. Behind closed doors, they're going to have those feelings and they're going to address them however they may be. The people who may have been quiet, um, I had I had a, a teammate from college reach out to me and, you know, and I, I read something he wrote uh, in regards to how he, he felt like being silent was the, the way to be, but he was like, you know, I can't do it anymore. I have to speak up. He's a white, a white guy who um, I went to college with uh, four years and he felt like his silence all this time was was hurtful. Or for us, because it was like, you know, I have to speak up. And I think the, the coming from people like that to the forefront will help push the change. I don't, like I said, with the, like, the people not, not knocking Drew Brees, I'm not knocking him because I'm like, that's his opinion. That's how he feels. He's strong about it. We're not going to be able to sway people like him. Um, he feels bad because it wasn't a platform. It wasn't a time to really bring that up. feels about the flag and kneeling. Yeah, and there's people that are dead set on that and we're never gonna be able to change that but hopefully yeah we can't change that but hopefully they have an understanding of that there is needs to be changes and maybe if they help sway in that direction to make those changes then people may not be doing what disappoints them kneeling for the flag because the people are known for the fact that they want that they want that uh direct that focus on that situation mm-hmm. so if you all who feel so strongly about this you feel so strongly about this well they feel strongly about that so right now we have a issue, a major issue with that. So help fix that. So they don't, you don't have to worry about this. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you want this issue to be fixed and I want everyone to respect their America, then everyone in America should be treated equally. And we need to fix these problems or have some order and change of that. So um, like I said, I don't, I don't, we, we're never going to be able to change people's mindsets. I mean, this goes back to however long you figure all, all the racism from, when uh, the civil rights leaders were marching and everything like that, we didn't change. We didn't change the internal mindset of those people. They just kind of gave in to many of those people. Just kind of gave in. It was like, all right, we'll deal with it. We don't like it. We'll deal with it. Well, we're gonna have a lot of people that don't like it, but know it's wrong, and, and that's we're never gonna be able to change certain mindsets. Yeah. When you hear um, a phrase like "defund the police" as a thing that people are moving towards what is what does that mean to you i feel like there may be there might need to be maybe reallocating of certain money you know you look at where a lot of uh, agencies money is going and if after there's been a reallocation or 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 just a, a check of where these things are going if you can afford to remove some of those some of that funding and put it towards more positive things for certain communities fine but what they also have to understand is that some of the money that they're refunding may prevent hiring of other officers. And at the end of the day, people are going to retire. People are going to medical out. And if you can't backfill or fill those positions, now you're limiting the response times to certain things. So it really, if they want, I mean, I, I don't think they should call it defunding. I think they should sit down and look at what is this money going to, man? What is this money going to? Okay, well, maybe we could take a chunk of this money because really, do you need all that? Or maybe you have leftover funds over year from this. So maybe we could take it over here, give it to this youth center, give it to this uh, minority group. Um, just, just, I just, because people are so quick-witted when the things like this happen, just always have to remember, like we're at it, we're in a staffing, kind of staffing crisis. I'm on mandatory overtime. Well, in our department, and we're trying to hire and, and get all this done. 
So it's like we're not fully staffed at the jail. That's why we have mandatory overtime. We want to make sure we're keeping up with everything and make sure everyone's taken care of. So if you were to take a chunk of money from us, that would limit them hiring. In turn, wouldn't fix the problem and in turn would cause the same things that we're trying to get rid of happening. So mm-hmm. all you just need to sit down. And like I said, it comes back to everybody sitting down across the board. Community leaders and your your mayors and your city council and your chiefs and your sheriff, everybody come sit down and we got to come to the table. And there's going to be happy and it's going to be sad in all aspects, but we got to come to something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes. There's, there's going to probably be some areas that are going to take some money out, limit some staffing. Uh, because it won't be for hiring, but that may be, that might be the, the, the negative for, for some years to come for some law enforcement agencies. Um, and hopefully it's not for long term, but there's, there's got to be changes and everyone's not going to be happy. So, yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more question. We can talk as long as you want, but I have one specific question, but I want to take a bathroom break. And this is awkward because we're live on Facebook. So, so we'll wrap it up, man. Go ahead and then yeah. we'll, we'll wrap it up with the last two questions. We'll use this time to say, I, I know Sean Mackinnon's watching. Um, I know Daniel Cataldi's watching. I know uh, Kelly Rosario's watching. Uh, or what's, was, up to all, what's up to all my West folks? <laughs> and, uh, uh, or was Kelly was watching and is going to finish watching later. Uh, so thank you to all the Wizigan people that are watching. I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask you like a, a great <laughs> closing question. That's good. That's good. <laughs> how we solve, solve the entire world. All right. We're back. All right. There was a lot of stuff that was heavy on my, I mean, I made that video. There was a lot of stuff that was heavy and it's just, like I said, so that's why I reached out to you. I was like, no, we got to talk. We got to definitely yeah. talk. Um, I guess my, my like overall arching picture, because this is my biggest concern is what do we tell kids who are watching this and they're 10 years old because i feel like you know growing up in hip-hop culture um being out there on last saturday out there today but last saturday especially you know fuck the police is what played uh Mm -hmm. where everyone started dancing um and growing up in hip-hop snitching cops popo Five O. I'm doing a, a binge of, of The Wire, my favorite show ever. It's from the community. It's very anti-police. Just from your perspective, I, I don't expect you to be able to solve the world's problems, but just from what you've experienced and what you've seen and what you've, I, I can't, I can only imagine you've had to have thought about this, but what do we do over the next 20 years, realistically, that can help bring police young community together so it doesn't feel like such a they did something wrong against us type of a of a mentality even if it's simple what do we for me for me it's hard because like i said i got a 10 year old son eight year old son and my daughter so my eight year old he's in his own world all the time so he's really i don't even know if he knows fully what's going on he's involved in his video game and his tablet half the time but my 10 year old has asked several times, like, mommy, why is everyone, why is stuff burning? Like, what's, he's very, he's a very smart kid. And, you know, I, it, it hurt my soul last week when I had to have actually have a conversation with him. Cause I'm like, damn, I'm 10 years old. But at the same time, I want him to know what's going on. If he's smart enough to come to me or he's more, I shouldn't say smart enough, but aware enough to come to me, like, I want him to know what's going on. And the reality of it is I told him, I'm like, look, you have someone in law enforcement, they contacted someone, they, you know, and, and unfortunately, they, they made contact with this man, and the outcome is that man died, and the officer was wrong. 
And now people are upset because there's been several instances where police have done some things that are questionable or wrong. And he's looking at it with like, mama, you're police. Exactly. And if I do something wrong, then I have to, it's the same as if you do something wrong in the house, you do something wrong in school, you have consequences to pay. Um, and I had to explain to him because I'm like, he's got one more year elementary school. We live in a, I should say, predominantly white neighborhood, right? You know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of black families in, 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 in the city I live in, but at the end of the day, there's more white than black. Mm-hmm. And there will come a time when me and my husband have to sit down and his father and have discussions with him about like, hey, if you see police, I got to tell him, if you see police, I mean, he looks like he's almost as tall as me. He looks like he's 13, 14 years old. He's 10. I'm going to have, you know, it's like, you got to have him understand it. And I feel like they said they did in the civil rights movement. Um, they didn't keep the young kids in the, in the dark. You know, the kids knew when you come in contact with the police, you don't, well, back then you don't look them in the eyes, you don't look them in the face. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, you take whatever they give it to you and you move along. And if they stop you and whatever, you go along with it. You don't fight back. Well, we're kind of still in that room. I got to tell my son, um, hey, if you see police and if you're in a group of people or you're contacting police stop and they want to talk to you, you keep your hands where you can see it, where they can see them. And you, you engage with them, you talk to them. And if at any point in time you have an opportunity, I told them, you call me or you call Papa Clyde, my husband. Because my husband, essentially, I said, you call Papa Clyde on them. I'm going to get him a cell phone told him when he gets to middle school. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you call my husband. Because it's like, we want to get somebody down there because number one, you're a juvenile and well, you if there's something there with the police, they're going to end up calling you anyway. So why not get you to get the head start on going down there? But it's, is that it's, because of, is that because of the role though, also that your husband had in the department that it's going to squash or stop? No, it? it's just a matter of, I, I would say it if it was like you call one of us so we can get down there. But the good thing about it is that my husband being a retired, a retired deputy is, is that he, he can kind of get down there. He knows the law. So it's like, if y'all throw something out of pocket, he's going to call him on it. And him being a big guy probably was scared the hell out of police anyway. <laughs> no, but it's a matter of like, even if he wasn't law enforcement, I'd say you call someone, you know, you, you call an adult to get to where you're at. Um, but it's like, you know, even him, like we, we just had a discussion earlier today. And he's like, you know, I mean, he said me, you know, when I'm at, at a uniform when he was working and even now he's pulled over. He said, he's just a regular black man. So right. He puts his hands on the steering wheel. He said, I remember, um, he did that one time. He got pulled over on the freeway by Highway Patrol. And naturally, he just put down on the stairwell. And he said that officer was like, you guys make me sick. When you're doing that, you, you keep doing that. And he's like, oh, what? I'm putting my hands visible. Like, you didn't know that he was a cop or anything like that. And, and it's just like, that's at the end of the day, my son is a will be a black man. My boys will be black men. And they need to understand it's a whole different dynamic. I have to have this conversation with you because no matter when this all goes away, whatever changes, I'd hate to say this, but in a large, in a crowd of, of a mixture of kids, he might be pulled out, singled out, not pulled out, but singled out. What are you doing here? Where do you live? You belong over here? Yeah, we, we might, I live here. That's why I said, you keep your hands up. My name is mm-hmm. Omari Not. I am 10 years old or I am however years old. I don't, you know, I don't got nothing on me. I don't have no problems. I just want to go home, whatever the case may be. And if they keep holding you, like I got it. So the kids have to know. It's sad, it's unfortunate. But they have to know what's going on. I can't, we can't afford to keep our children in the dark, not telling them what's going on. And then some shit like this happens and they're completely traumatized and completely just taken aback. Well, at least now that's in the back of his head. So if it happens, I told him, I said, you come talk to us at any time. You see something on the TV, you have an open forum to come talk to us and we will explain everything. But I don't want him to get out there 
and he has some type of encounter and he don't know what to do, or he's so shell-shocked or saddened by the situation or traumatized by it that he can't talk about it. And then it fuels anger because that's what happened to us, our people way back then. You have so many situations happen and they're fueled by this anger and they're fueled that it carries on. I don't want that to carry on. He's, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I want my child to go on to college and be great in life. You don't want him to have this thing on his chest about that. It's funny because it sounds like you're, you're, you're giving your kids the two speeches that you hear two different sides giving. There's always the side of, you know, you don't resist, you don't give lip, you do what the officer says, and you should make it out okay. But you also have to give the sad explanation that many black families talk about having to give their kids of the reality of despite this, Mm -hmm. you are a black man or black woman in America, and you're not going to always be judged evenly. Yeah. Um, and I don't want because he he out of out of my three kids, he's the one that's the stubborn one. And I don't want him. I need him to understand because I don't want him to be that one where they just cuff, cuff him up and just keep him a little longer for not. even. I mean, because it we've seen it happen in situations where this one gets put to the side just because I got a small mouth or just because I want to be funny or whatever. And everybody get to go. That's my and fear. Then that's a you know, traumatizing situation for him. I don't want that for him. You know what I mean? I have to have him understand. So when he's brought to that realm, if if God forbid, but if he's ever brought to that realm, he knows at least quickly call. Then hey, get on the phone. Hey, Papa Clyde, can you come down here and get blah blah blah? Because I said my husband because he's retired. I'm gonna be at work. I'll be damn mad, smashing from wherever, I live 40 minutes away, to get out here where my I'm husband is five ten minutes. Yeah, five ten minutes away. So it's you know it it has to happen. We can't keep our children in the dark, and eventually, hopefully, the changes will occur where they don't have to see this as they become our age and then they still working on it. Unfortunately, things will be slow, but you know, I mean, in order for the future for them to be bright, they've got to know what's going on and they've got to be aware of things and maybe in 10 years, 15 years, jump on board and try to work to, to, to continue to rectify these issues. Yeah. Um, that's all the big, big questions I think I had. Um, is there anything you wanted to talk about specifically or, Anything we didn't really get to No, touch. I think I'm good. I mean, I think it's good to have this discussion. It's always good to know. It's always good to know someone. A lot of times it's good to know someone on both sides. And a lot of it answer, you can answer some questions for people and understand, like, like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm the same as y'all. It's like, I just go, I got a, I got a career. I got a profession that I go and deal with. And, you know, it's, it's hard. You know what I mean? Because this isn't, this isn't going anywhere no time soon. It may die down a little bit. When the trial comes back up, if things do not pan out the way they are, I fear to God that this these cities will burn completely down. That's what you know. That's that's one of the fears that I have is that when football season starts up again, people are going to kind of forget. Because yeah, it'll it'll taper down because they they ended up making all those arrests. But at the end of the day, I'm hoping that some reform comes in some way, shape, or form in regards to certain departments. I like how there's some office, some chiefs, um, the, the city that I used to live in, the neighboring city, the chief is a black chief. He was out there with the community the other day and he's, I got you, I got you, hold on, I'm answering this question. And he was out there talking, even the chief in the city that I live in, um, white guy, he was out here, he 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 knelt with the kids, he, he talked to each of them. And I, I feel like he had a rapport with a lot of these kids. I feel like because maybe he had children that went to the school because it seemed like he knew some of the black kids that were kind of hugging them, but we need more of that. Um, and we need more of a, 
I want to hear they want to hear what's going on and then explain to them what they're doing or what they've done so it doesn't happen here or so that it can change in these smaller cities and then it'll pay it'll pay an outlet it, it's gonna it's gonna fizzle down as as all things are and then um when the trial comes it'll fizzle back up just like out here with the Oscar Grant thing it was big for like a week or two it fizzled down the trial came back up and then that outcome um the city didn't go go crazy as it could have I mean but um still in this situation it's 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 bigger and I you know especially because we have nowhere to go yeah so it's bigger it's bigger and the even when they come to the trial it's it's going to get interesting if you know, if they don't present and the thing is people don't understand about the court system if the if the court if, excuse me if the lawyers don't present the case properly like the Trayvon Martin case they did a horrible job I believe wholeheartedly that prosecution did a horrible job really? in the presentation because they did the right job in the presentation there's no way to justify what that man did was right he pursued this young kid um and that's what people have to understand when you're sitting on a jury trial as a juror you can only go off of the information that's presented to you. You can't go off your own personal bias, anything like that. So regardless of what you feel, you got to look at the paperwork. And if the paperwork and the evidence that you're presented in that jury room does not give you what you need, then you, they plant that seed of doubt. And so that's what they did. They got it. I think with this one, it's pretty cut and dry from the video and stuff, but it's all a matter of presentation. You we don't know see. who's, you know, we don't know. And you I think that's know. the frustration is that, I think that we feel a sense of lack of faith mm -hmm. in the system. And so yeah. when, you know, beyond the looters, but just the property damage that angry protesters are doing, and they say, oh, you have to stop looting and protesting and rioting, we go, but you haven't done anything yet, right? Those they haven't been heard. When you've got so many situations where, and like I said, I understand, I'm not for any of the looting because of the businesses and the a livelihood of people in the midst of a quarantine and an epidemic, a pandemic have been affected. But I understand that y'all need to be heard. We need to be heard. But even it beyond, be heard. but even beyond being heard, we've been heard before. Mm -hmm. And and I think the, the ultimate fear is that these cops are going to walk. Yeah. No I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. You feel that way. And you know what? And, and, and until it doesn't happen, and so the idea of everyone just go back in your house, calm down, stop breaking shit, stay inside, the idea of doing that prior to a conviction, at this point, it's, you know, when you hear about, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting mm -hmm. a different result. So many peaceful protests, so many times when we just go, okay, we quit, we go, okay, let's just see what happens. And then it's yeah. quitted of all charges. And we go, wait, what? So I feel like there's, so when you say that you think this is going to calm down, I just go, I don't know if it will until there's a conviction in this. Yeah. Well, what I can't, what I, what I believe from the judicial system, what I know is that the three, the three other officers, highly likely that there won't be a decision that is to the liking of society made for those. I think that the, the main dude, I think he's I think he's screwed, to be quite honest. The other ones, unless there's more that they have, they really got to do a thorough job of the presentation of evidence. And if they have attained obtained uh, quality lawyers, defense lawyers, like my uncle used to be a prosecutor. He is now a defense attorney. He knows when he goes up against prosecutions, what their what their emotions are. He's a prosecutor in Alameda County for over ten years. 
mm-hmm. almost 15 years. Now he's on the other side. He has his own law for the old law office and he represents um, the other side defense. So he knows. And there's a few that I dealt with uh, when working uh, the courts. They know. And you, it's interesting to watch them because they know the nuances. So they know how to, to work and plant that seed to get the people off. You get some people like that for those other three. They may, they may escape without really the time, the only time being served is when they initially got arrested if they didn't bail out. So it, it's going to get interesting. But I don't think everybody's not going to be happy with the outcome of all four. I, I, I'll be very surprised if, if, if that outcome comes. I don't think that, I don't think the other three will serve much time if any. And ultimately, I think that's the sadness that I think when everyone stands up and, and admits that this is just a, a just flat out wrongdoing. Yeah. Horrible that the courts find some way, whether it's through poor representation or what have you, to let others off the hook. And and I think as a black man, the feeling is, well, they got the one, so they let the other guys go. No matter Indeed. what the the reality is, I, I think that's the anger of Oh, they think they can pull one over. I mean, that's how I feel is no matter what happens, if they only convict the one cop that had his knee in, in George Floyd's neck, it's going to feel like, well, they should be happy with the one. Yeah, but see, the thing is, they're all th- eight minutes and 46 seconds, all four of them are responsible for that. And so, but like I said, you people understand if you ever served a jury or sat through a jury trial, it is the place. I mean, granted, I don't know where the hell they're going to be able to do this trial with the whole, the whole world. Right. <laughs> There's, normally, you can get a change of venue and you go to a different city. They don't know what's going on. Right. But at the end of the day. OJ did that shit right in L.A., so. Yeah. And the, and the Oscar Grant, uh, the, the guy, Meserly, who, who was uh, convicted for the Oscar Grant shooting, they, they didn't want to do it in Alameda County. They did it in a different uh, a different venue, a uh, different county, excuse me, for uh, change of venue, as they call it in the court system. But. Either way, I mean, I want to, I, I want to have high positivity, and I, like I said, I, I commend the people that are out there with us. Is day twelve for the protesting and, and and still keeping this up. I, I, I look at the mayor of D.C. and, and the change of uh, the street sign and the street as a whole. Uh, Black Lives Matter on the street, you know, and and I and I hope and pray that justice is served properly. I hope and pray that there's reform in regards to agencies and. I'm not going to stop being me within my department. I'm going to try to train these recruits up the way they need to go. And once at least I set them off, I can say I did my part here. Now let's transition them to whomever they're going with next and continue to do that as long as my body will allow as I run miles almost every day. <laughs> well, you're but, a uh, <laughs> overall, overall, I mean, it, you know, it's, I'm just grateful to have the, the base that I have and being able to have a good, good deputies around me that I can rely on and in a good home base where I can talk about these things. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's, it's stressful being out there and being black and blue as you call it. So. I sense that when you, when you messaged me, you know, I could sense that it was something that was, it felt heavy on your heart. Yeah. Um, it was a rough week, rough weekend. And then, you know, coming into the week work, it was like, I'm sitting you know how you just looking around like I want somebody to somebody say something. Somebody say something. Some say, go ahead and say something stupid. That's how I felt. But then I got to remember, you know, I'm not in an office setting. Um, I'm held to a, and law enforcement is held to a different standard, higher standard. Hence, this situation should have never occurred anyway. But um, I have to remember, you have to remember that. And so that even makes it more angry because you really can't 
voice the way you want to and have people understand like this is how I feel. So it's a whole realm of things. So that's why I'm grateful that I can come home and just decompress with family and not have like have somebody that understands versus sometimes coming home. I can come home to a to a non to just a black husband that ain't got nothing to do with law enforcement. He's like, you need to quit. But <laughs> I mean, and he, you know, he was like, I want to, he's like, I want to go out there and, and protest. He's like, but I, I'm not because he's like, I'm thinking about you and I don't want to put, you know, you still work for the department. So he's like, I don't want to put you in that realm of things. And I'm like, man, go out there. You, you're not, you're not going out there busting no windows, but. <laughs> Checks you on the news. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, I, I've been I've been pretty hot about the whole thing. We, before I think we went live, I told you it was it's a difficult uh, week for me. Um, just being out there last weekend and then taking a really a break from the whole week and then going back out there. So the ability you asking me, you know, a few days ago to do this um, helped put me in a different mindset to think about it. You know, knowing that I had to. I couldn't go out there. I couldn't come on this as, as protester. I couldn't mm -hmm. come on this as fuck the world. I'm angry. I had to put real thought into what do I really want to know? What am I really curious into? And also really the only ability I've had to, to talk to an officer and me be forced to shut up and just listen. We talk a lot about white people. White people talk a lot about having to listen to black people. And, and just listen. I thought it was equally important for me to listen to you as an officer, um, just into the things that, that are going on and your opinions on them. So just me as the host, I guess, of this being forced to knowing that I've got to listen to your point of view and, and I can't just attack, 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 um, help put me in a calmer state mm -hmm. and, and have a better understanding as far as procedures and um, training and mentality when you're going into certain situations that I think off off the jump, I would assume are just racial or anger, but mm -hmm. there's real situations that, that, you know, that require certain actions that good police are, as they say in the wire, good police are thinking about. Yeah. It, not not even though the things that we see on TV often look like someone who doesn't give a shit or acting on impulse, as you've laid out a few times here, there are really strategical, tactical factors that are going through an officer's mind on a daily basis or on a minute to minute basis. Yeah. Their life often on the line. So I, I, I thank you for helping bring some calm to me. And realizing that it's not just um, anarchy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, like I said, there's a lot of agencies out there that are behind the curveball and some stuff. But I, I at least say I'm proud of my department and how they how they go about stuff. But we we got our department goes back to the '60s, Berkeley, the riots in '60s, Berkeley, the Black Black Panther stuff. So at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I have no fear when I go out there, and I shouldn't say no fear. I have no worries when I go out there if I got to go out for protesting because I know my department as a whole prepared me. You know, our training and stuff, our training is good. Mm. One thing I will say about our department, our training is good. We are above the, the curve on, on that. And I just, now we just got to work to hope the other people can rise to that, the department can rise to that as well. 
if at any point during all this, you know, who knows how long this goes. I, ho I hope we all kind of find peaceful uh, resolution to all this sooner than later that mm -hmm. comes with, um, you know, with a, with a speedy trial in Minnesota um, and um, these charges being followed through on and, and maybe even upped. Um, but I hope just that at least in the meantime, you know, you're safe, your family's safe, um, your team uh, is safe, your, your cadets, your trainees, uh, continue to learn from you because everything you laid out just feels good. It's the best way I can, I can describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it feels like on an even playing ground, the things that you've talked about are things that a level headed you know, person with, with good training and good, um, good superior, superior support, peer support, mm -hmm. um, all that feels good with the police. And so I just hope that people like you uh, and people in your department and all around the country really f keep following what they're doing and making yep. good impacts. And we keep, you know, speaking our mind on this side so that uh, you guys are supported and, and the people that aren't, that aren't with what you guys are doing are removed and, and allow you guys to flourish. Yeah. Well, hopefully, like I said, I appreciate it. I, I thank you for giving me the time because I know we ain't too well liked, but at the same time, you you know where my heart is. So essentially, when it all comes around, I I have nothing to lose because I I feel like I'm putting my heart and soul. I, I worked hard to get to the academy, and my before all this came to forefront, the goal was to be the change you want to see. So I'm working with the changes. So that I can see them flourish out there and be good cops. And I tell them, tell them that all the time. You know, it's always gratifying to get thank yous and, you know, the, you know, whatever when they graduate. And so that, that's all I can continue to do is that to continue to educate them. And obviously, I, I again, I have no problem stepping in with my officers or deputies if, if I feel like something's wrong. And that's just me. They, they've known that about me since I've been on. I was angry, Davis, as I told you. <laughs> but overall, like I said, thank you for giving me the time and, at least oh. putting it out there live. Everybody can at least see, like, see, I'm good. I thank y'all who was praying for me and my family. We, we're we good. Just pray for my. I'm not probably going to be out there much, being where I'm at, but my stepson may I'll have to pop out if things jump off. So continue to pray for my family, and uh, we'll, we'll be good. I'll keep y'all posted on how everything's going the best I can. Anytime you want to, you want to, you know, keep update or anything like that or uh, touch base, feel free online, offline, whatever. I'm, I'm here for whatever you want to, you want to do. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jess. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.